<laughs> okay, let's try this again. Uh, welcome, true believers, to the newest... Well, that's not technically true, I guess. You could be listening to these out of order. But to an episode of Cinema Excelsior. Oh, good God. Alright, this is a doozy. Uh, we will begin by introducing our panel today, our cavalcade of stars, if you will. Uh, beginning on my far digital left, uh, we have Mr. Christopher Dobson joining us today. Say hello, Chris. Hello. Chris is, uh, is the host of Your Stupid Minds. Chris, would you like to explain what Your Stupid Minds is? It is a podcast, which is a like a radio show that you download via iTunes or other uh, pod-catching device, and then you play it at your leisure. I think he meant the topic. <laughs> nope. Since, since we are on Moving a podcast on. right yes. now. Very interesting. <laughs> Moving on. This is so meta. So to, to, uh, Did you say to... podcasting or pod-catching device? Pod-catching device. Yeah. Okay. Is that a thing? There's, there, yeah, there, there's the pod-pitcher and the pod-catcher. Okay. Yes, we are a bad movie podcast. We've actually covered quite a few superhero films. Um... We have not. We did an audio review of X three some time ago, and so we're not going to do an episode of this. So I'm going to talk about it here. Hooray! Would, would you be comfortable calling yourselves Pod People? <laughs> That's racist, dude. <laughs> sure. No, I'm, yeah. I'm referring to the. Uh, They're the people of Pod that, descent. That, that we spent uh, five minutes discussing during the X1 podcast. <laughs> Befitting this conversation, uh, Chris today will be playing the part of Random. Random's body is made of morphing protoplasm, which can change into almost any shape he can imagine. He is able to randomly counteract any force or mutant ability directed at him, alter his mass and strength, and rapidly regenerate damage toward attached slash severed biomatter and limbs. Yes, today we are all lesser members of the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants. Yes, and I will yeah. I will use my awesome powers mostly to turn one hand into a big gun. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's not so much random as it is the same thing over and over again. Yeah. <laughs> we call these the Army of Darkness rules, and they always work. To Chris's digital right, we have Mr. Daniel Watson-Jones. Hello. Uh, dude, today we'll be playing the part of Peepers. <laughs> Peepers, all right, I've never yeah. heard of Peepers. Uh, Peepers is a mutant with uh, <laughs> telescopic eyesight superior to those of normal humans. Yes. Uh and he kind of, if you Google a picture of him, he looks like the love child of a chimp and Marty Feldman. Okay. <laughs> okay. So Mr. Peepers. Mr. Peepers. Yep, pretty much. Uh, to do to digital writer, Lillian DeRitter. Hello. Lillian, today we'll be playing the part of Miss Fingers. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> Miss Fingers was a squid-like mutant <laughs> with the ability to teleport. <laughs> I'm mad. I'm not. Wait, she's a squid and she can teleport. Yes. Did you hear like, how like many most things random has? Random had like eight powers. <laughs> I just all I can think of is that moment in Finding Nemo of like, you made me ink. <laughs> Miss Squid. Uh, we also have Nick Bester. Hey, baby. Drinking water. <laughs> how you doing, sweet thing? Uh, Nick will be playing the part of Fever Pitch. Not the movie. Okay, I can live with that. <laughs> yep. I don't know who that uh, 
With the manifestation of his powers, Fever Pitch was reduced to a flaming skeleton. He is capable of extending that biological flame outwards as intense heat. Okay. Uh, so he's basically the human torch, except instead of, like, catching on fire insofar as looking on fire, he catches on fire insofar as all of his flesh and muscle is burned away and just a charred skeleton is left. So, yeah, sounds like he wouldn't want the cure at all. Nope. <laughs> no, why would he? And I am Stephen Claypool, and uh, out of sheer laziness, I'll be playing the part of Onslaught today, who is the worst and stupidest of these characters. Uh, Onslaught is the psychic love child of Professor Xavier and Magneto. It's probably the best way to describe him. Okay. Wait, literal or figuratives? Because I ship it. Uh, I think kind of literal. <laughs> when, yeah. when Professor X uh, psychically destroyed Magneto's brain, it caused him psychologically to create this persona of onslaught, which then subconsciously began like attacking people until it tried to take over New York. Okay. Mm. That sounds kind of similar to Cassandra Nova. And I think that onslaught today is actually the Red Skull. I think the Red Skull has become onslaught. Wait, which one? Did the Red... Like, he's taken up the mantle of the Red Skull? Or, like, the, the Red Skull... Is a, well, how does that work? See, the, that's just awkward because Magneto killed the Red Skull recently. But the, the Red, so the Red, I think it's the Red, it's either the Red Skull or a clone of the Red Skull stole Xavier's brain. Bear with me. Why did I ask? Yeah. <laughs> Go on. Moving on. Don't, don't worry. This is uh, this is far from the dumbest thing we'll discuss today because today we're discussing. I was going to say, yeah, this is not even nothing. X-Men. The Last Stand. Mercy. And, uh, yeah. So, I did not prepare a synopsis for this. Uh, does anyone want to give it a shot off the cuff? You're smiling, dude. <laughs> I mean, I when I was watching it, I took notes, so I have pretty much the entire uh, <clears throat> plot in front of me. But oh, you've done I, better I than the screenwriters. I to write a humorous uh, summary, but... Uh, <laughs> Uh, as a you just want case, to do it in a high squeaky I voice. The movie uh, with only five minutes to spare, uh, <laughs> so I did not have time to prepare anything. Um, what is a boy to do? Uh, <laughs> I feel like we should let someone else try to remember it. I, I just watched it, so why don't we have someone who doesn't remember it as well try to remember uh, all the things that happened, or you know, the, the general arc? Uh, I could summarize it in a couple of sentences, probably. Um, I was going to say, I was going to volunteer Chris, yeah, or, I, 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 think... or I can do it since I did X2. <laughs> okay. Uh, and I also did e X1, one. so yep. only one of these is the actual name of the movie. Uh, <laughs> Chris or Lillian, one, one of you take up the mantle of Summarizer today. I enjoyed my summary of X1. Okay, well, this this movie, I mean, there's it's really like two or three movies at least, because... Mm -hmm. It's the story of Jean Grey and her evil side, the Phoenix. It's the story of Magneto trying to stop a mutant cure and how other mutants react to that cure. It's the story of several other characters as they <laughs> congregate in the woods. Um, 
<laughs> it's was, a camping trip. And I finally, was referring to that as a mutant Hooverville. And finally, it is Mixed a it is a touching father son story. That's I don't know, kind of like that second X Men movie, but this time the son saves the father or something. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's pretty much it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of characters die, and you're like, wait, no, really? So it's about three and a half movies crammed into just barely the running time of one movie. Wait, who's the father-son plot in this? Uh, Angel. Oh, right, that plot that I forgot existed. Because <laughs> he's in... The, the incredible Ben Foster. He's in, like, two and a half scenes. I, he's so underused. It's so tragic. He just flies in from nowhere. I'm like, who are you? <laughs> he literally, literally flies in from nowhere. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, he can do that. He's Angel. Yes. <laughs> I, I honestly entirely forgot that was even in there. Well, and going back to the conversation we were having before we started recording, the man who plays Angel's father was also the mayor of Gotham City in Batman Returns. So in terms of comic book movies, uh, he's 0 for 2 at this point. <laughs> yeah, it's rough. Ugh. All right, so uh, we, we can, I think, do quick initial takes on the film and then start going through it and talking about what ma- what makes it great or not. Should we talk about the production stuff beforehand, like director and writers and so on? Uh, yeah. You, you want to you wanna take the lead on that? Uh, well, I'm just looking at uh, Zach Penn's IMDb list. He was one of the writers, and I did not know that he wrote the story for Last Action Hero. Oh, uh, all, yeah. As well as the, the comedy PCU, uh, the okay. screenplay for Inspector Gadget. Um, and a variety of other th- Oh my god, he wrote Elektra. Uh, yes, he did. Yep. I, You're going to see a lot of Zach Penn's name from this point yeah, forward. He's also the original writer on The Avengers. And Kevin Feige. Kevin Feige's name is on yep. this movie. So the, the basic uh, background with the production of the film, Brian Singer makes the first two X-Men films. They're hits. And then he leaves uh, in favor of directing Superman Returns. So whereas we could have gotten potentially a really good third X-Men film, we instead got a somewhat, one could say, disappointing X-Men film and a mediocre Superman film. So it worked out well for everybody. Yeah. Indeed. Um, Divide and conquer. uh, Matthew Vaughn was slated to replace him. Vaughn, who I think at this point he had only done Layer Cake, but down the road he would do Stardust, and then he would direct X-Men First Class. Yeah. And then Vaughn bowed out because he didn't think he was going to have enough time to film the movie he wanted to film because Fox had already set a release date and was replaced by Brett Ratner. Everyone's favorite director, Brett Ratner. Yep. Um, (laughs) The other co-writer, Simon Kinberg, wrote Triple X State of the Union, Mr. and Mrs. Smith. (laughs) Yes! Wait, is that the first Triple X or the second Triple X? That's the one with Ice Cube. Okay. Yeah, that's the second one. All right, jump. Um... Uh, the screenplay for Sherlock Holmes with uh, Robert Downey Jr. and Jude Law, um, and the screenplay for X Men: Days of Future Past. Ah, as well, oh, apparently he's writing the screenplay for the new Fantastic Four uh, and X Men Apocalypse. Oh, so so we have him to thank and or blame yeah. when the new Fantastic Four comes out. And one of the untitled uh, Star Wars standalone films. I rem- I remain, uh, uh, you know, I have no expectation that the new Fantastic Four movie will be shitty. It could be fine. To, to be fair, previous adaptations of the Fantastic Four should not have filled you with confidence right now. <laughs> yeah, but 
you know. But they set the bar very low. Yeah, they're setting the bar really low. They're baby Fantastic Four. Yeah. They're tiny baby Fantastic Four, and they I don't know how they're going to get their powers. because It's Jim Henson's Fantastic Four babies. I would watch that. I would watch the hell out of that. Who is... Who is gonna let Miles Teller like do a test flight to space? Like he looks like he's nineteen. Yeah, he's got to get his braces off first. Galactus didn't realize released any production shots or anything yet, or promotional stuff. Galactus oh. is just going to be the adult in the room who's just, you can't see his head. <laughs> oh, that'd be great. He's uh, he's the principal of the high school that they all go to. They all go to fa- to Fantastic High. He definitely. Victor Victor Von Doom is just the really awkward exchange student. <laughs> it's just Venture Brothers. That's all I'm asking for. Can you give me Venture Brothers? I would like I would like for them to give Galactus a uh, a Peanuts adult voice. Mm-hmm. So you just have Galactus. <laughs> Nick, your Peanuts adult voice is much more rhythmic. <laughs> Yes, uh, but enough talking about Terrible Fantastic Four films of past, present, and future. Let's talk about uh, X-Men Terrible Films of Future Past. Um, who? Uh, let, let's start start with you, Nick. Uh, your, your hot take on the film to open it up. My hot take? Okay. Hot take. Uh, I, the first time I saw this, which was sometime shortly after it came out, I fucking hated this movie. Uh, partially because, like, at the time, X2 was probably my favorite uh, superhero movie that had come out. I would say now, just with however, however many X-Men movies have come out, or superhero movies have come out since then, and uh, just sort of the movie doesn't seem as good now. But anyway, so it had a lot to disappoint me with. So I fucking hated it. Uh, and watching it this time, uh, as I was saying, sort of in the sort of pre, pre-recording uh, time, uh, I remember it being an abysmal movie, and I was pleasantly surprised to watch instead just kind of a, you know, a shitty movie. So it's not as bad as I remember, which is not to say that I liked it, but just that I was like, oh, this is, you know, mediocre but not terrible. Lillian, your opening thoughts. Um, I actually had a similar reaction. I remember, you know, I really enjoyed X2 when it came out, and I saw this movie opening weekend, possibly opening night, and I was very disappointed at the... It just felt like one of the one of those great Marvel comic events that gets super overblown, and they don't have time to cover anything. So they're just like, oh, and here's uh, the Kitty Pride moment, and oh, here's the weird love triangle, and oh, and John and Bobby are gonna fight again because we know you like that. Um, and Angel's here because he's a classic X-Men and we've been neglecting him forever, and it's the Juggernaut, bitch! And it was just like so much fan service and no meaning. Yes. And that's really upsetting to me. <laughs> Poorly done fan service. But yes, there's a lot of meaningless fan service in this. Yeah. Dooge, since you have just finished watching the film, you can give us the hottest of Fresh hot in your mind. Um, I did not see this one in theaters um, because <clears throat> I had been so disappointed with the first two films. Uh, and I, I watched it on DVD at somebody's house uh well after that and uh, I actually watched it with a friend of mine who was not really familiar with the X-Men films and he for the first half of the film it turned out had thought that Hugh Jackman was actually John Stamos he'd never heard of Hugh Jackman before 
and he legitimately thought that this actor playing Wolverine was John Stamos. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> what? Um, it's not the most so, unreasonable confusion to make. I mean, yeah, I think no, they're, they're, no, I... you know, pretty similar looking white guys. Uh, uh, did, and it's did, appropriate. Did he you know, think that, that John Romaine and Rebecca met on be. set? <laughs> uh, no, it's that what makes ruined sense. their marriage. Ah. Uh, ah. Uh. Uh, and I hated this movie. I I thought it was it was. I hate when characters are killed off screen. Uh, it just didn't convince me. And the fact that they brought Jean Grey back after killing her in the first film, and they killed her in such a stupid fashion. I mean, the second film. Uh, and it it just felt like this was really sloppily done. That there were a lot of. Uh, threads that they were pulling from nowhere that went nowhere and they weren't tied together to create any kind of interesting uh, tapestry and uh, this time I I felt kind of similar to Nick in that my memory of it was so bad that I was a little surprised at it not being you know mind-numbingly bad like some of the movies we've watched um, but I, I still don't think that it's particularly good but there are a lot more gems in it than I had remembered um, particularly uh, Kelsey Grammer as Beast um, and there are a few other things that we'll talk about cool Chris your take on the film well it seems opening to, thought it seems to be a recurring theme but I, I when I saw this movie I enjoyed the first two X-Men movies I I forget when I had kind of given up on X-Men comics but I was definitely still reading them when the first X-Men movie came out but by this time, I was just so burned out on them, and then this movie was just so bad, and I just really, really hated it. Uh, and really just didn't think about it a lot for a long time, except to be like, oh yeah, that was the bad one. So watching it back again, I was like, mm, I mean, it's not good. But I think those Brian Singer movies, I think w I was remembering them being better than they were, and I think I was remembering this movie being a little worse than it was, although it's still bad. I, th I think we're all kind of on the same page here. What, what's interesting for me watching this is this is actually, I, I am ashamed to admit this, this is the first time I've ever actually seen this movie. Really? I managed to I managed to avoid it in theaters and never felt compelled to seek it out. <clears throat> so huh. I, I walked in with very low expectations, and they were met. Um... <laughs> The, the big thing for me kind of comes back to what both Chris and Lillian touched on. I, As much as I disliked this film, and I feel bad saying this about a film I really disliked, I think it would have really benefited from being about 45 minutes longer. I was because, actually surprised at how short it was. Yeah, it, it, it's, was it's a very short film that's trying to cram a lot of things into it, most of which are fan service, and none of which have the opportunity to ever breathe and develop into things on their own. And the comparison that I made in my notes, which is never a good comparison to make, is I compared it to uh, Mortal Kombat Annihilation. <laughs> which is not a good film to be compared to, ever. Unless the comparison is, this film's really good. Mortal Kombat Annihilation totally sucked. <laughs> I mean, I've... to be fair, these are all real actors in this movie. There's nobody oh, yeah. that is just well, jaw-droppingly terrible. Scene. I was going to say, except, except for uh, the digital, uh, the CGI puppets of Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart. But those are cartoons. You mean of, figures? Yeah. Those are cartoons of well-respected actors. <laughs> I will say they did a great job of giving digital McKellen a really bitching head of hair. Like, his hair was spectacular. Yes. 
He, I mean, Magneto has to be fabulous. That's like his main rule mm. is he needs to look quaffed mm. and sexy at like 76. Like that's just Magneto's deal in these movies <laughs> is to like sass on people's hair and be a total genocidal maniac. We love there, what you've done with your hair. There was not nearly <laughs> enough sassy uh, Magneto in this movie. That's really something it was missing yeah. now that you mention it. Although yeah. the, the thing about... I think this movie, because I completely blocked out Mystique's part, I have so much more respect for Rebecca Romaine. Like, she actually had, she was one of the few people with a tiny arc that actually had an arc. And she, like, made it a beautiful arc. Yeah. And then she and McKellen have that great moment where he's like, she was so beautiful. And I'm like, you horrible mutant being. How dare you do that to her? I was so upset. Yes. No, I I, I agree. I I've, I, I always thought of Mystique as sort of being, you know, well, they, they got, you know, a swimsuit model to put some paint on her and she doesn't do a whole lot in these movies. And I was like, wow, this is actually, you know, she's doing good work here. Mm-hmm. And kind of a, a precursor to the role she would take on in the uh, the later films where she's played by Jennifer Lawrence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think if, if we're starting with with Magneto and how much we love what he's done with his hair and that first scene uh, it's it's as good a jumping on point as any for something that I think is going to take up a good chunk of the conversation and that is the re- uh, relationship between Xavier and Jean Grey and the uh, the setup of that opening scene where they uh, th- these digital models of Magneto and Xavier uh, which I remember when this film came out, there was a lot of hype behind that. About oh, yeah. How they, they, they digitally de-aged Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart, and like none of the articles mentioned that they'd done it really poorly. <laughs> oh, yeah. I, I distinctly remember that like around the time this came out, like people were like, this is the future of CGI. Like Just like yeah. when uh, the Matrix sequels came out, and they were like, we made 50,000 Agent Smiths, and it's incredible. And then you watch it, and like, this isn't incredible. Uh, and yeah, this is super duper uncanny valley e. They, I describe them as wax sculptures in my tweets. And that's that's what they look like. They have that really unnatural skin tone uh, that you get in a lot of these uh, these yeah. characters. Uh, so it looks really bad, and they are. This is twenty years ago, by the way. Um, yes. Tw- twenty years ago, from now or from the not too distant future. It's unclear. Or, yeah. Well, yeah, can we talk about the complete bait and switch about the Sentinels? Like, they're like, guys, Sentinels, too! Sentinels! And then nothing. Yeah. It's a training exercise. <laughs> oh, yeah. yes. In, in the, the first and, five minutes of the film, we are in three different timelines plus a fake fourth timeline. Because we're 20 <laughs> yes. years ago with the Jean Grey scene, and then 10 years ago with the Angel scene, and then the not-too-distant future, which we're... T- like led to believe is the Sentinel Days of Future Past timeline, but no, it's actually the Danger Room, and it's really the now not too distant future. Well, they don't yes. use the word Sentinel, do they? No, no. it's just a robot. No, no, but it's a Bill huge Duke. robot head. I, oh, yeah, I know. And it's, Bill Duke to is us, playing it's a Sentinel. Yes, but to uh, us, us what they are fighting is a Sentinel, but to them, it's just another bad guy that doesn't actually exist yet, right? So, I mean, it's not like it's a continuity error. Well... Well, but I guess no, if you're going with the if you're going with the idea that you're like interlocking the timelines completely, the Sentinel plotline has already occurred. Yeah, <laughs> so but if, they if, are working from like remember that time that we were worried if, about the Sentinel. If we're going with that logic, though, then we're also saying that Moira McTaggart was in her mid twenties in 1962, and in the not too distant future. Are, 
I didn't say it was perfect, but there's multiple trasks too. I don't understand what you're saying. Um, the, what are are you working from looking back at all of the X Men films now and trying to fit them together, or are you looking at this film yes. as well, it was? Yeah, because the do. thing about oh, okay, which don't no, do. I, my don't assumption do with First like, Class I, uh, was that they were trying, trying possibly. Like I was never told. Like First Class was sold as a prequel, at uh-huh. least from what yeah. I could tell. Yeah. It wasn't a reboot; it was a prequel. Yes. Yeah, it's. Uh-huh. I mean, it's it's sold as a prequel, but they also completely ignore X Three in that one, don't they? And, and like that's the thing is, like if you're an X Men fan, even casually, you know the Sentinels. Yeah. Yes, but, but that, that's what I'm saying. That I, I think that for them, the Sentinels don't exist yet, but that it's just a, a, a fan service joke for us to see the Sentinel yes. head. Like, oh, that's what right. they were fighting. Also, well, normally, dude, I would be really dismissive of that view because there's certainly no fan service just for us in this film. <laughs> also, I would say that if we are, like, taking the perspective of, like, post-Days of Future Past trying to stitch, like, the continuity together, a lot of Days of Future Past is working to erase this movie from the continuity. I mean, that's pretty, much every, yes. pretty much <laughs> everything that happens in that movie is to get rid of this movie. So, <laughs> yeah, continuity well, errors between this <laughs> movie and Days of Future Past, that's kind of the point. Which, yeah. is, which is still my I, favorite part of Days of Future Past. Like, that movie wasn't great, but I, like, I was like, oh, I didn't realize how much I missed Kelsey Grammer, apparently. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I, I actually, my, most, most of my favorite things with this film, the little gems that I can pick out, do have to do with Kelsey Grammer. Kelsey Grammer's uh, great. I got you pegged. Just the blue people. I just approve of all the blue people. <laughs> Okay, okay, so, uh, so uh, we get... I, fair I would like to discuss this at, uh, as we start out, though. Uh, are we going to be discussing this film like in the context of the later films? Because I, I think with X and uh, well, with the first two films... We <laughs> Is the first one just X now? It's X and then X2 and then X3. And then X2. And then first no, class is X0. To, at least you know, for the discussion of uh, criticizing the film as it was made to what existed at the time. And then we can... Yeah maybe uh, discuss at the end or later uh, how it fits but it seems like those should be conversations that are uh, held off until we review those later films. I think that's fair. Yeah, I think that's reasonable. So so we start off with uh, the digital models of Ian McKellen and Patrick Stewart going to visit young Jean Grey at the Grey House 20 years ago and uh, Jean is a precocious young child with the ability to lift uh, lift cars with her mind and mess with Stanley's water hose. Yes. And the key plot point that is established here, which is paid off later in the film, is Xavier and Magneto are one, uh, sort of establishing the idea of Jean against her, pitting Jean against her mutation versus Jean embracing her mutation, and then placing barriers in Jean's mind to wall off parts of her mutation from her. Yes. And this this sets up the what ostensibly would be the key driver of Jean's arc as she comes to terms with this and then breaks down those barriers and uh, could have been the beginnings of a not terrible like wronged woman seeks revenge yes. film. It would help uh, if Jean Grey did anything for like an hour in the middle of a movie. Yes, <laughs> or were a character. Yes. This is this is an overpowered issue, I think, too, is that un- until, like, we see her destroy Scott, like, Poison Ivy style, and she... Or Typhoid Mary st- style. Yeah, 
or Typhoid Mary style, and she screws up Alkali Lake mm. in general. Um, but the thing is that we don't... <laughs> She's sort of... Like, you have to save her, because otherwise... Like, the, the, the power of the phoenix is such that if you overuse her, it's like, where are you gonna go? Now that Eric has lifted up the San Francisco Golden Gate Bridge and put it down on Alcatraz. Like, what are you gonna do? What is the more impressive thing to do? And that's part of the problem, is that I think we get that sort of weird Alkali Lake sequence, and then we forget what her powers are, and then she comes back and she's just messing stuff up in the third act. Yeah. And, you know, breaking matter and going all Scarlet Witch. And Well, <laughs> I think, I mean, we talked earlier about kind of the bait and switch of the sentinel sequence i think there's also a very major bait and switch there because i mean i i certainly remember watching x2 and thinking you know magneto's storyline was well i, I didn't think he wasn't going to be in this movie but you know it seemed reasonably closured to me and they were setting up for this to be you know the phoenix movie uh and it ends up being much more a magneto movie than i expected and or wanted mm-hmm. yeah i i think and so this was 2005 and the film if we are to take plots from the comics that it pulled together it pulls together the dark phoenix plot and it pulls together joss whedon's gifted plot and specifically the cure components of that Mm -hmm. and tries to meld them together and i think either one of those could have been good films on their own the key problem with the phoenix plot in this context is first of all the Jean Grey is the protagonist of the Dark Phoenix saga. She's not the antagonist. She's not the villain. The character arc that we go on is her arc as she comes to terms with the idea of being this godlike being and then in the words of the Watcher at the end chooses to die as a human rather than live as a god. And then the secondary protagonist of that story is Cyclops. And him coming to terms with how this process that the woman he loves is going through is affecting the love that they have. And so clearly the way to translate that into this film is to make Jean Grey a prop and kill Cyclops 20 minutes into the film. (laughs) I was going to say, do you think somebody was like... I'm sorry, did you say Wolverine is the best? Yeah, you, yeah, you said Cyclops, but I think you meant Wolverine. <laughs> yeah, I had the impression watching this that James Marsden must have been committed to another film during He this. was committed he to was... Superman Returns. He was. Oh, he, and they, he I, bailed, I completely he, forgot he was in that. Okay. He bailed uh, on this movie just like okay. Brian Singer and went off and did uh, yeah. Superman Returns. Well, mm-hmm. that was. Although... Uh, that was a. I have nothing to say about that decision. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, ah, either ten, you know, six dozen, yeah, I don't know. Lateral um, move. Um, yeah, especially but from a st- after listening to uh, our previous two podcasts and your defense, Stefan, of uh, how much more Cyclops these films needed, uh, I was really uh-huh. disappointed that he wasn't still alive when the professor died, and, you know, that couldn't have been uh, a trigger for some major personality tra- change in him. Uh, I would have liked to have seen that happen. Nope. Um, which is probably the only time that I've ever wanted to see more yeah. of Cyclops. So we don't we don't have time for that. We have to give all the character development to Wolverine and Magneto. Obviously. Yeah. Obviously. Yeah. We we have very little character development to go around. We need to we yeah. need to focus it. <laughs> Definitely don't give any to Angel. Yeah. <laughs> Never. <laughs> don't let him 
talk. Just let him stand there with his perfect Ben Foster eyes and perfect Ben Foster hair and perfect Ben Foster abs. Yeah. That's all you need. He has so three lines, I think. At least as he's an like adult. the Megan Fox. I think he only has three lines, as I recall. Yeah, no, he is the Megan Fox. Like he is literally there. Well, like to run around shirtless with his epic wings. <laughs> He, what I, he has, I'm just sad he because I really like Angel as an X-Men. Oh, yeah, he's, an, he's, a, he's a great character, but I, I was also surprised no, at how not. little rogue oh, there hold was Hold on, no, he's not. <laughs> Angel is a horrible character. <laughs> he's, uh, my, he's the worst of the horrible original X-Men. Okay, well, my only experience <laughs> with him was through the cartoon when he turned into Archangel. Uh, well, that so. was the most interesting thing he did. Right, but that if, was... Again, if, if, if you think about... And, and again... We, we talk about the Dark Phoenix saga as being Cyclops and Jean's story. A lot of early X-Men was Cyclops and Jean's story. And mm-hmm. Angel as a character, Warren Worthington Third, <laughs> was explicitly set up as like the handsome rich kid that Cyclops thought Jean was in love with. And he, Cyclops was kind of mopey about <laughs> That's that's what I like him for. Is I like that it's like like Scott for for some reason even in these movies Scott is really obsessed with like Gene likes this other guy and it's like no Scott yeah. it's you it's always you uh, just shut up and kiss Gene and get over your life. <laughs> um, did he have much of a uh, a smaller role than Rogue though? Because I feel like she was not in this movie either. Um, Rogue had a few more scenes, but given how much time she, we spent with her in the line. first two films, it, it's kind of inexcusable to skip what is yeah, the okay. the critical decision of her character arc. Yeah. Her three-film yeah, character yeah. arc. Yeah, she's essentially the main character of at least the first one. Yeah. yeah. Um, and, and, yeah. What, and she's yeah. she's the better example of the need for a mutant cure than anybody, yeah. really. Yeah. I mean, Maybe we can talk about the mutant cure here. And, and Nick Bester, I'm especially interested to hear your thoughts on this because you have gone on record as saying that the mutants are a danger to everyone <laughs> and need to be need to be tracked. He's anti-mutant. Exploding collars. Um, what what are your thoughts on the mutant cure? Uh I think I think Storm is absolutely full of shit when she's like having that conversation and was like, nobody needs the cure while talking to a woman who literally kills people by touching them. She's she's telling a girl who can't touch anybody and is very, very sad about this that no, you're perfect, you don't need anything. Because she's got fucking weather powers, which are great fucking powers. Uh, and you know, uh, I don't know if you looked at it, but I sent out a link that was sort of about this and sort of making an analogy with uh, the uh, the disability community. So, uh, which, you know, somebody, somebody can Google if they're interested in it. I think there's some interesting parallels there. Uh, but it seems to me that the cure is, you know, pretty reasonable. Uh, and I feel like Magneto is kind of a little overly paranoid about it being, like, forced on everybody to the point where... If it's going to be forced on everybody, it's because of what Magneto is doing. Magneto is going out of his way to prove the need to forcibly demutinize everybody. Well, I because... think that that's important in context because we establish at the beginning of the film from a mutant-human relations perspective, things are great right now. Yeah, Good president are... in the White House. Beast is serving in the cabinet. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's not a scientist, doesn't seem like. He's just a weird politician, but, you know, he's doing good, good Kelsey Grammer things. Um, and, 
yeah, things seem to be going pretty well. There's sort of this like ominous, ooh, things are going to turn at any moment now, and then the cure comes out. And certainly it's reasonable, and, you know, there probably are some mutants that you want to uh, forcibly demutinize, you know? Fucking multiple man over there who is, has one of my all-time favorite powers, but, you know, he's using his powers to rob banks, and, you know, he could do a whole lot more with it. He effectively is a one-man army. Might not be a bad idea. The guy who has, you know, infinite momentum powers, maybe stop him. It doesn't seem like the worst thing in the world to forcibly demutinize, you know, well, the people who explode. The people who explode, the, the woman who explodes the entire goddamn army with her mind. Maybe we should demutinize her. Unfortunately, the guy with uh, momentum powers isn't in, he isn't a mutant. He actually touched a magical gem that gave him the powers <laughs> of Sidorak. So yes, I don't think th cure. I don't think that's true in this movie though. I'm pretty sure that's not true in this movie. In this movie, movie, everyone is a mutant. There is no any other kind of superhero, superpowered person in these. There films. are no mutates. There are only mutants. Yes, exactly. Are you a mutant or a mutant? Yes. So yes, certainly. You know, Spider-Man, if he existed in this uh, world, would obviously be a different category of thing—a Fantastic Four and what all. But you know. Well, the as far as I know, within the within these X-Men movies, at least for the time being, maybe Fox will change it at some point, there are just mutants. Well, the, the crux of that question, though, and if, so if we t look at this dramatically, so the mutant cure is invented by, I, they never name him, I guess his name's Warren Worthington Jr.? Because <laughs> no, he's Warren Worthington II. He has yeah. his name show up when he's uh, introducing his Alcatraz uh, okay. compound. Fair enough, fair enough. Um he he has created this mutant cure and bought alcatraz and, for reasons and bought bought alcatraz mm -hmm. though to be fair he didn't create it he just took that poor child's blood yeah. from what i can tell like it doesn't seem like any actual <laughs> True. I was assuming that there was some <laughs> amount of synthesis involved in it that it just wasn't yeah, blood yeah we we saw centrifuges yeah, particularly as the blood would... I mean, obviously there's the implication that, you know, Magneto's getting his powers back, but I assume that was kind of exceptional. I get the impression that it's pretty permanent for everybody else, and mm. just putting somebody else's blood into somebody is not going to permanently do much, because yeah, the, their the body is just going, is going to going fucking... To attack it. Yeah. yeah. So I'm assuming well, that they just say I needed, I needed the tranks to not look like blood vials, because it literally just looked like they were, like, passing needles. But, yes. but you, you've got Warren Worthington II, who is the creating second. this cure, and ostensibly, you know, the arc there is supposed to be the relationship between he and his son, and presumably, one would assume, it goes either one of two ways. E either Warren is an out-and-out -out villain who hates his son in the same way that Stryker hated his son in the previous film. Mercy. Or that Warren is going to uh, come around on his son's mutation and at the end of the film be okay with it. And uh, neither of those two things happen. So the character who, upon whose genius and connections the film turns, the plot of the film as a mechanical thing turns, uh, actually doesn't exist he, he's no. just he, he is a function of the plot well yeah i i missed striker really really missed striker yeah. <laughs> um who also has a weird father-son plot that's mm -hmm. about a human father hating a mutant son um 
And I guess they, I, I think they just like, ha when they had Angel catch him and he makes that face like, oh, thanks for catching me, son. <laughs> like that was in theory, yeah. the end of the arc. Yeah. That's all they needed. They yeah. were like, oh, check mark, we're done. Guys, we've got, we've got five <laughs> minutes of Angel time in this movie. Come on. I, I never got the impression that he hated his son, but just that no. he, he felt like his son was suffering from a disability that he wanted to help him cure. And that was, yeah. you know, the inspiration for him to do all this work. And he, he mm. I mean, you know, this is fan, fan wanking. I'm just writing in his background. But uh, his son's feelings were changing uh, while he was mm -hmm. doing this work. And, you know, as the, the image of mutants was changing in uh, the culture. Uh, and he sort of had come to terms with it, but had not... Uh, Spoken and I to it. I think that's a, a totally it. fair and reasonable interpretation of the material. Mm -hmm. But if, if we're going to believe that the mutant cure is a very bad thing, <laughs> then Warren Worthington II needs to be a bad guy. Well, I never believe that it's a very bad thing. I think that everyone in this film uh, goes to opposite ends of extremes, uh, or opposite extremes, and uh, kind of makes fools of themselves and the script at the same time. Uh, <laughs> that no one in this movie seems to act realistically towards each other. Uh, except uh, Kitty Pride towards uh, uh, Leech. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's uh, it's like a David Lynch film in so far as you believe that none of the characters have ever spoken to another human being before. <laughs> yeah, but I I do I think I think Juge addressed something really interesting, which is like they had an opportunity to use to use him as a foil for Stryker. Mm -hmm. That that there no. is a well intentioned attempt here to help his son and i think that's i mean that is where the disability narrative comes in because i mean you can look at um you can look at autism and the way that autism speaks talks about autism versus self-advocacy like you can the problem with with <laughs> the, the difficulty of disability studies is that often because it, it covers a very wide umbrella people's relationship to their disability is so different and all mm. over the map. And some people want to blend in as much as they possibly can. And some people want to stand up and be, um, and be valued as a disabled individual and be, and be very open about, about their disability. And like, yeah, Angel could have been that arc. Um, Rogue. <laughs> Rogue could have been that arc. The problem is that Jean literally... <laughs> if we're looking at it from a disability perspective, it gets super problematic because she spends most of the movie starting from the first time she talks to Logan post Dark Phoenix saying, kill me. Uh -huh. She says my, my disability, quote unquote, my disease, this other thing that's inside of me is so awful that I don't want to live anymore. And, and that, that's why that first scene where Xavier is talking to her, I think is really interesting because he explicitly contextualizes the mutant ability in that scene as, are you going to be against it and allow it to overcome you, or are you going to control it? Mm -hmm. And so fr from square one, we're being set up to view the mutant power, the mutation inside of these characters as being something that is thrust upon them or in mm -hmm. opposition to them and not a part of them. Yeah. And then Xavier's then, actions do not help that cause. Yeah. Because, like, yeah, in the first scene, Xavier's talking about her controlling it, but then it's all about him controlling her. There's this whole, mm -hmm. like, very, very off-putting, paternalistic, like, I set up mind blocks in her, uh, in her brain because she has this uh, uncontrollable and... Uh, what was the uh, word? It was it was all these sort of feminine mystique uh, code words for you know her her crazy psychic vagina that will kill us all. It must be controlled. 
Her hysteria. Yeah, I mean. What was the term they used? One of the things. So this is here's a fan wank question. Did they try to mutant cure Gene ever? Like was was that an option? Like could could Wolverine instead of having to stab her with his claws and traumatize everybody, could he have just like grabbed one of the tranks and demutantized her? See, in, because in, in X Men continuity, Dark Phoenix is an alien presence, if I remember correctly. If we're, ta- if we're taking the post Dark Phoenix saga retcon into account, yes, yes. But in this context, it seems to be tied to her mutant gene. Yeah. So if you neutralize the mutant gene... Well, there, there's there's two things, I think. One, my in, a well-written film would have made this point. I think the reason that she wanted to be killed was not because of the power, but because she couldn't live with having killed Scott. Ah. And then... Yeah, that's, as far not, as the, that's not evident. Nope, does not come through. <laughs> I was going to say, if we saw Scott die, you know, yep. maybe that would be <laughs> evident. Yeah. And then th- this is what I get to with it being a poor adaptation of the core concept of the Dark Phoenix saga. The cat is dangling its tail over your camera. Um, yep. In-, in the Dark Phoenix saga, set-, set aside the retcon, the Phoenix was a manifestation of Jean Grey's real powers. I mean, it was not an alien entity. It was her. And the story that was told was Jean Grey coming to terms with the idea that she was all-powerful and coming to terms with the idea that there was a destructive component to that and having to choose for herself if she was going to be, you know, by the nature of that consuming power, a destructive force or if she was going to die as a human. And there is a psychological complexity in that that is completely lacking in the, oh, it's a split personality setup. Yes. And, and and certainly no sense of her sort of being the master of her own destiny. Yeah. This is entirely, you know... There's no agency. This is Charles Charles and Magneto jockeying to control her. Uh, and, and I looked at my notes and how it was described as, as the instinctual emotional side of, uh, of Jean. Mm-hmm. It was all... It was all feelings and fury. And I was like, oh, for fuck's sake. Well, and it's also, this is the third <laughs> He deserved movie. to be blown up, fucking Johnny Patriarchy over there, Charles Xavier. This is Good. the third Blow movie. Up. And, I mean, Johnny what... Johnny Patriarchy, wow. What indication have we ever had that Gene is this, like, special, unique snowflake among the other X-Men and that she's the best? And it's like, Professor X has known the whole time, apparently, because he's the one that's, like, hidden it from everyone. But it's just so silly to introduce it this way and be like, oh, by the way, she's always been the most powerful mutant that ever existed. We just never mm-hmm. mentioned it before because it didn't come up. Yeah, yeah. it was not convenient to mention before. But you can I mean, tell now we... because her power manifests primarily as uh, working as anti-gravity, it seems. Yep. Uh, so she's and obviously the opposite hair. of everything natural. And Great hair. sexy and thrusting herself at uh, Logan and, you know, exploding people. Uh Yes, but again, if we go back to this idea of like looking at like the later context of these movies, it's very clear that Professor X spends a lot of his time just straight up lying to everybody. Like it's all like, "Oh, I've never met you, Logan. Who are you?" We spent tons of time hanging out in the sixties and seventies. Yeah, <laughs> there there is truth to that, and there's also okay. So in the comics, there is a pretty well established tradition of Xavier being kind of a dick. You know, he, yep. he he alternates between, like, he's the Martin Luther King of the Mutant Calls, and, and we respect him and we trust him, and being an asshole. Like, those are the two poles of Xavier. And 
This is much I feel more like, him being an asshole than MLK of the mutant world. But here. but it's it's difficult because for the first two films, he, he's almost kind of a saint. I mean, oh, in, yeah. in film one and film two, he's treated with reverence. Mm-hmm. And then in film three, we uncover this dark secret that has not been hinted at or set up that casts him in a very negative light and then kill him yeah. immediately mm-hmm. and have everyone ignore the dark secret. Well, I mean, the repercussions of the dark secret are what kills him. So, uh, I mean, there's I don't know, some relationship between the two things. Yeah. But... Um, yeah, it, the scene where he's explaining to Wolverine all of this uh, background about you know what he did to and for Jean when she was a child, uh, and mainly expl- what's that? Yeah, but there's I I never got the impression that he was doing it like without her permission. Uh, you know, he wasn't like creeping into her room at night. Um, but you I know, mean, they, never, they never explain either way. But she's obviously he's specific. Kind of- What's that? Logan specifically asks, Logan specifically asks how much Jean knew and. Charles Charles' reaction is essentially shrug. It's unclear how much she no, knew. His, his <laughs> I don't have to explain myself is, to you. I don't have to explain myself to you. Right after he has explained himself to Wolverine, uh, <laughs> and it it really struck the the oddest thing about this scene is to me was that uh, he's explaining all this private information about Jean to Wolverine uh, without her permission. You know, without any kind of. Uh, I, I guess it was, you know, so that he would know in case she did wake up and he he wouldn't hang around waiting for her to wake up because she is so dangerous. But obviously that has no effect on uh, Wolverine's behavior whatsoever. He, he still does it. Well, in general, he seems to say, like, he talks out of turn a lot. Like, he says, like, he's like, Scott's really messed up right now. Yeah. <laughs> to, like... There, there's a lot of moments like... of, like key character development or plot context that are established with a throwaway line of dialogue telling you exactly what's happening. What was yeah. that in there? And, it yeah, was a and danger like, room simulation. Like, you love her. And it's like, wait, are we sure? Yeah. Are we really sure? Yeah. Yeah. Professor X loves undermining the rest of his students by just, you know, saying confidential things to other members <laughs> of the X-Men. But can we get... It's like, <laughs> he's, the, he's the world's worst gossip. Can we? Can we get? <laughs> he's like to... dropping little pieces. He's a telepathic gossip. You're like, no, Charles, no, please, and he's just like in your head. Can we get to Magneto meeting with the uh, other mutants in the church because that scene was pretty. I, great. I was going to say it's it's. <laughs> we've talked a lot about these characters that we know and love from better films, but it's time to talk about the terrible characters introduced in this film. Yeah. Yeah. Like Omega. But Pyro's kid. back. Yeah, take, Omega. Take a, Pyro. Take, take the lead on this one, Chris. So Magneto, I mean, I guess this is continuing right from the last one because I don't remember. Um, no, wait. It, it, they do introduce the Mystique has been captured. Magneto is really mm-hmm. mad about this cure, and so there's like a mutant meeting about the cure, and it's just a bunch of sort of mutants in Mutant Town that are like, "What are we gonna do about this cure?" And then of course Magneto like strolls in and is like, "I'll tell you what to do about this," and no. Everybody's like, wow, you're kind of ridiculous and over the top at this town hall meeting. <laughs> it's, uh, I think, ostensibly, we're supposed, this is supposed to be like a call to the Morlocks mm-hmm. in, uh, in X-Men, because Callisto is there and is one of the, the primary followers. Uh, played by, oh, by the way, Nick Bester, uh, did you yes. recognize the woman who plays Callisto in this film? She being the super fast contractor. Is that, that's Maya or Mia, is it Maya or Mia from Maya. Heroes, isn't it? <laughs> Fucking Maya from Heroes, yes. Yes, and Miles is there. 
Yes. One Lost of my favorite Lost, Lost characters. Mm -hmm. Aww. Playing, really? I think, a character named Kid Omega. Yeah. Really, read the really bizarre correctly. casting. And the kid who plays uh, Leech was in uh, Thank You for Smoking. Oh. And he was also the uh, he was the MacGuffin kid in Ultraviolet as well for almost a very similar uh, role. Really carved out a niche for himself. Yeah. Did you guys get the weird unearthly child? Yeah. Did you guys get the impression that the church that they're meeting in was the same church that Nightcrawler uh, went to in X Two? It, it uh, looked very similar to me. It, I mean, it's it the might have been the Adventist same, church. It may yeah. have been the same set. I don't. I didn't get the impression that it was necessarily supposed to be. All uh, but, all churches of the mutant sect look the same. Okay. Yeah. But um. but by the way, I looked up the exchange between uh, Professor X and Logan, and uh, Logan asks, "She knew all this," and uh, Professor X's response is, "It's unclear how much she knew." Uh, okay. <laughs> That's so, a studio like, note right this, there. This yeah. is the person's brain you're fucking with, and he's like, "No, I don't have to explain myself to you. Go fuck yourself." So he deserves it blown of, up. Of uh, what I feel like is is happening a lot through this script, where which is that they decided where they wanted to go, and then they did not take their time to figure out how to get there well. That oh, yeah. no. all of this script seems to be like shortcuts to to reach a particular destination that the writers had decided was you know appropriate for yeah. some reason there's got to be a they scene have... where Iceman and pyro fight there has got yeah. to be a scene where warren saves his father there has got mm. to be and so on and so on it's like they've got they have index yeah. cards up eventually there, they we've got to have professor X die and they don't yeah they don't know what to do with all those tossed salads and scrambled eggs <laughs> so so Callisto, who is i think i don't even think she's named but she gets to talk no she she yep. she, she meets, has lines she meets magneto and basically, Magneto is like, oh, you'll be a good second-in-command because you have the power of not only of super speed, but you can detect other mutant power levels because she tells Magneto, you and Pyro here are the, are the only other level three or above mutants yep. here because there's this whole Which... thing about power levels. <laughs> Yeah. Is Pyro that impressive? I don't think Pyro's on the same power level as Magneto. No. Uh, no, no. She well, said he that they can't were even generate the only two fire. That are more he can only manipulate it. Okay. Yeah. But still, yeah. still. So maybe he's a level three and he's a level four because a level five mutant, which is what Jean Grey well, is, is totally off level. the chart. Not oh. in this movie. Stop bringing in stuff that's not in this movie. Juggernaut's <laughs> a mutant. Okay. <laughs> There's nothing about Omega levels in in here. Also, I don't believe uh, Magneto is a uh, Omega level. No, he I'm pretty sure he is. Although I think Kid Omega is, but not in this film <laughs> where he is. Iceman, uh, I know, and Jean Grey is. Kid Omega, uh, aka Boy Marrow. Yeah. So, well, that's the thing, though. And I I believe I read this somewhere. I may be incorrect. So Kid Omega is a character in the comics. He's Quentin Choir. He has horrifying psychic powers. Yes. Uh, there was another character in the comics called Quill, who was a human porcupine boy. Mm -hmm. And clearly, we can see which one was adapted, but apparently Kid Omega was a cooler name. Well, it's, I mean, it's Mero as a boy. It's not... Yeah. There's well, no question. Even, yeah. well, I thought Mero as a boy was the guy who grew bone knives. Uh, yeah, that, no, that was a problem that I had with a lot of these extra mutants or the the new mutants. Like, I don't think they ever named Psylocke. Uh, nope, nope. Or Callisto, or uh, yeah. Wait, is Psylocke Omega in there? Or... Yeah, yeah. Uh, she's a purple-haired Asian woman. Yeah, and yeah, Art... it's not clear I didn't, at I didn't, all. They I did not put that together. All right. I only knew because I looked at the the character list uh, to find out who these characters were. 
they right. do they do tell Arc the thing I... They're like, hey Arclight, do this thing. Yeah. But don't speak yeah. for SAG rules. Yeah, no, don't no, no, say no. anything, Arclight. Uh, all right, I looked it up, and the confirmed Omega-level mutants are Jean Grey, Quentin Quire, Vulcan, Rachel Summers, Iceman, Legion, Elixir, J Franklin Richards, and Psylocke. That's funny, because I saw la the last time we had this Psylocke? discussion on the podcast, uh, I think it might have been after the podcast had finished, I went and looked it up and found a list that had Magneto on it. Uh, that's the only reason I was confident about it. Maybe he was, ret maybe he was retconned down. Before this discussion on a previous podcast. All right, let's check Psylocke's the Marvel Comics database. List? According to, according to that, yeah. So, hmm. using the information that Magneto gets from Callisto, he's able to find Mystique, who's like on a 18-wheeler or something that's being moved around all the time or something. Is their plan to, to not let them catch Mystique? So, they catch, they find her, her truck, and they're going to save her, but she ends up taking... And this is the stupidest part of the stupid movie. She ends up taking <laughs> a, a cure bullet... <laughs> Intended for Magneto because they have weaponized the cure and just handed them out to everybody. Everybody, it's like, hey guys, yeah. you're guarding mutants, so you're going to want some cure bullets. What? Uh, yep. Yeah, it makes, makes perfect sense. Good job, guys. Why don't they just administer the cure right away? They have <laughs> the cure. Why not just say, fuck you, uh, Mystique and uh, Juggernaut and uh, Multiple Man? You're too dangerous. You're just decured. I would and, then, then, and then, and then Magneto would be justified in thinking that they were going to do that because they had just done that. Yep. Um, if if we spend a little more time on Magneto and uh, how he's really not helping things, <laughs> so when, when we <laughs> that per usual, when we he never when helps. we get into San Francisco, where uh, an enormous chunk of this film is set for some reason. Um. So Magneto's way to convince people that mutants don't need to be wiped out with this cure. This humane cure that renders them into normal functioning human beings is first he has his lackey firebomb a building and then he makes uh, Nick, you you referred to it as a press conference in a crinkly I did refer room. to it as a it, yeah, for some reason like their base of operations is this just weird circular crinkly room it's, yep. uh, it's unclear where they are. I think it's in the woods because they spend a lot of time hiding out in the woods on their weird little ca uh, mutant camp uh, <laughs> hideaway. Uh, yeah, I, I I assumed that it was, you know, like a, we send in this terrorist video claiming credit for it, but I much preferred the idea of it being a uh, press Listen. conference. And now I will take questions. You <laughs> from CNN. <laughs> yes. I mean, to be fair to Magneto, <laughs> it's not his interest to just live with humans. Like, he's... You know, it's like saying, well, we should all, you know, we should make sure that chimpanzees are live at at least the highest standard as we have as human beings. Like, he looks at himself compared to uh, the way we would look at chimps as like, well, I control magnets in all their forms. Well, and we have established it. Okay, so at this point in the film, this is not like Magneto is a, a mutant tirelessly campaigning for uh, the rights of mutants. This is a guy who, in film one, tried to mutate ostensibly, but really kill all of the leaders of the world at Liberty Island. And in the second film, tried to kill every human being in the world. Yes. I mean, it's, it's not, like, the problem, Magneto, is not that you have magnet powers. The problem is you. But no, no. And yet, in the end, 
he seems to get away with it just fine because once he has magnet powers, they just let him play chess in a park. He just he slipped away. away and no one noticed. Yep. Oh, well, to be fair, he can turn off fair, his fabulousness. You, you take, like he turns it down. I mean, and just waltzes away. Yeah, I mean, you think about it. Everybody, everybody thinks of Magneto, and they're just gonna think of the guy in like this cape and the metal helmet, and he's oh, in like this true. kind of muted purple color. He takes it off. Maybe people don't know what he really looks like. Is that yeah, him? No metal helmet. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Could easily be it. I don't know. Ugh. Yes, he 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 then just lonely. He just plays chess by himself alone. So sad. So, as, so as much as as much as Magneto is kind of his own worst enemy, I will say that I mean he is certainly a sympathetic villain. I think well, I think the films do a good job of you know. I get it. Well, yeah. and and especially I don't know. I mean, maybe I'm just naturally contrarian. But when the X Men start defending a pharmaceutical company's right to weaponize a cure and give it to the US government so that they can use it against people. I'm like, wait a minute, we need to talk about this. Like, whose side are you on, X-Men? Yeah, it's not entirely clear they're necessarily in the right here. Uh... <laughs> it's, it's not, I mean, if, if we, again, so ostensibly, the character that walled off parts of the young girl's mind against her will so that she developed a split personality should be the bad guy. And then the guys trying to stop the government from v essentially shooting uh, cure poison into people and transforming them into another species should be the good guys. And also, Wolverine should not be the voice of moral reason in these yes. films. And yet, here we are. I'd also like to say the extent to which they weaponize the cure is absolutely absurd because in that final <laughs> sequence it's not just that they have gun packs made entirely of plastic so that Magneto can't do anything about it but they bring out mortars and like yep. catapults that shoot cure shrapnel into everybody they have gone <laughs> totally out of their way to weaponize this as effectively as possible but that and that's well, the... no, Magneto was right that's the awkward right. thing is you're sitting yeah. there like wow they they were ready and they're they selling it they were and they're selling <laughs> This thing cure, that the but... mutants are doing. Yeah, <laughs> they're selling they it as a mutant cure, but they for Magneto. They're selling it as a mutant cure, but they clearly haven't done FDA testing on it over long terms. They have no <laughs> idea if it works or not in the long term. Well, that's why it's so ineffective for Magneto at the end. Yeah, we so don't they're know like, what the side well, effects I'm, are. And they're yeah. like, oh, be, uh, I was we, hoping we, we that before they tested it on Angel, they had done FDA trials. Nope. Like that's just really irresponsible. That's your son. Yeah. yeah we, <laughs> The implication is that he is the first test of this cure. Uh -huh. like, yeah. We're going to jump straight to my son. Because this is ethical. It doesn't matter if it kills him. It doesn't matter if it maims him. And how much, how much did the government pay them that they're like, here you go, government. Here's cure shrapnel catapults. Like, clearly. Yeah. In they're... exchange, we would like Alcatraz. Yeah, so I, I love, though, in that, that scene where we are seeing the ridiculous extent to which this has been weaponized, we do get the return of Sassy Magneto, though. Because we get that wonderful thing where he's holding back his, his elite soldier and saying, no, the pawns go first in chess. And then when everyone's getting zapped with the cure, he turns to his guys and says, that's why the pawns go first. <laughs> Did he say two things about pawns? Yes, back-to-back yeah. -back lines. I did, yeah. I the pawns notice, go first. I did not notice the first line about pawns. Yes. Yeah, I feel like that's an e a problem in the editing room. <laughs> no, no, no editing problems. That was a super solid Ian that McKellen was, impression, was, by the way. <laughs> 
was pretty it's good. Big. Except it was like Magneto Gandalf. Like it was very. <laughs> the resonance That's was why the very palms go first. He's, a, he's a real <laughs> asshole. Oh, and by the way, how about Multiple Man being in this movie? He's another character where it's like, welcome to my brotherhood. You're not allowed to talk. Yeah. You, you get one line. So you have one line. Mind. You have two appearances in the yeah. film. Totally using the coolest goddamn powers in the <laughs> silliest so way. So Gotta good. love those powers. Which powers? Multiple, Multiple man's man. powers. Oh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm, I'm getting a lot of lag from everyone here. So ah, okay, uh, yeah, things are coming awkwardly. Um, a P.S. Multiple man is McSteamy from Grey's Anatomy. <laughs> oh. And it's really confusing. Really? <laughs> Is it? I'm like staring at him like why is that smile so familiar oh oh okay oh. it was just very disor- disorienting for me also I oh, love the did way did you guys catch the, uh, the the Malcolm X quote uh, well Jean-Paul Sartre uh, by way of Malcolm X uh, by any means necessary that the, no. the president uses uh, I thought it was particularly appropriate since we'd made the, the MLK Malcolm X comparison uh, in the previous oh, yeah. podcast, um, uh, but then the, mean, the president says that we're going to take them by any means necessary. Uh, yeah, which is I mean, I don't, I don't think we Malcolm X. I'm fairly certain we're not the first people to make this comparison. I think. No, oh, yeah. I think I that's a pretty, uh, I think that's a pretty common point of uh, comparison so between the I, two. I, I, the I pre- know. I'm just saying that it is something that we have but, talked about before. But I'm willing, and then I'm willing to take full credit it. for it. <laughs> the the uh, president here bothers uh, me a little bit just because he's played. I can't remember the actor's name because I'm apparently a poor researcher. Uh, but he's he's played by a noted German actor, mm-hmm. and this this is notable in the film because he is very clearly focused on maintaining his American accent throughout the film to the point where in his big like send them in badass moment where he's supposed to be sending soldiers in to get multiple or to get magneto's base where he finds this multiple man he very badly lisps the word send send them in i did not know uh, that joseph summer or joseph, joseph summer, summer? Yeah. i don't know um is the actor's name who played the president we we've crapped on this movie for more than an hour now <laughs> and i'm wondering if we have anything good to say about it um it's got Kitty Pride in it. I like Kitty yeah, Pride. Yeah, I like Ellen Page's performance. Kitty Pride is amazing. I do, I do, I do think the whole uh, like shoehorned in love triangle between Kitty Pride and Bobby and Rogue is entirely ridiculous. And also, Bobby is a fucking terrible boyfriend. Yeah, he's yeah, bad. Right. He is so bad at this. Like, he invites Kitty Pride to go out ice skating, which. He does by himself in the most romantic way possible, as opposed to, hey, everybody, I'm going to make an ice rink and we can all go ice skating because that's just a thing we're doing to be happy. Uh, (laughs) And he is literally the last person to know that Rogue is gone. Wolverine knows, and Wolverine doesn't say anything because fine, whatever. But fucking Colossus. Goddamn Peter knows already that that Rogue has left, and Bobby's just the fucking last to know. And yeah. then when Rogue comes back and she's taken the cure, his response in the most dickish way possible is, this is not what I wanted. <laughs> Fuck you, Bobby. Fuck he's you. Not, he's not a very <laughs> well, good boyfriend. Um, oh, I've got yeah, a good note. I mean, but spe- I, but speaking I think... of Rogue, I've got a good note of something I liked. Uh, when she is mourning Professor X's death, she is wearing sort of a dress with a hood, and it's a green dress. And I really had a... Uh, comic book nerd moment where I was like oh they're trying to make it look like her 90s costume where she had the, the green dress 
with like the white stripe mm-hmm. and the hood. So I was mm-hmm. like, oh, that's clearly oh. what that was a reference to. And I thought that was a nice bit of costuming. And actually the costuming in most of this film is not bad. Yeah, I uh, I actually had noted that as one of the positive things too, that I really liked the, the black costumes with the trim on them and Wolverine mm-hmm. had the yellow trim. So they, mm-hmm. they were, you know, gesturing at his, his yellow, or, you know, their... Uh, his blue and yellow spandex. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah. And then they... they <laughs> And this thread would be picked up again in first class, but when Beast puts on his old uniform that he can't believe he once fit into, uh, it's kind of the blue and yellow leather get-up that would come back later, and that that looked more traditionally X-Men-y. Yes. Um, the the, the big explain? redeeming quality of the film for me, honestly, like the one thing that I enjoyed start to finish is I really loved Kelsey Grammer. Like from mm-hmm. the mo- I remember when Kelsey Grammer was announced as being cast as Beast. <laughs> I was like, "Yeah, I'm on board with this. This could work." <laughs> yes. A- and it's just it's the the little nuances because I can buy Beast as a fuzzy blue Fraser Crane. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. It, it fits perfectly. Well, and and, and, and his ver- intro is so great of him like reading yes. upside down, and you only realize he's reading upside down, yeah, you- <laughs> and then he hops. It's a beautiful. lot of communication uh, again, like point of good filmmaking an enormous amount of information is communicated about beast in that shot he is a monstrous furry man but he is clearly intellectual he is erudite he has a form of power that enables him to have this kind of flexibility and he is from a plot perspective involved in government involved in kind of the mechanical uh works of the underlying plot a lot's communicated there. He is maybe the only character for whom information is communicated in, a, in an effective way. Yeah, particularly particularly of all like the new characters that they go in crazy overboard in terms of shoehorning in. They definitely do a very good job. But it's also very very obviously Fraser Crane by or Beast by way of <laughs> Fraser Crane because yes. during the climactic scene there were two lines that really struck out at me as like you're just fucking you're just fucking being Fraser right now. <laughs> When they're flying over Alcatraz Island, Beast's reaction is, oh, my stars and garters. Yeah. <laughs> and then when he's fighting back-to-back with uh, Wolverine, he quotes Churchill. Yes. And it's just like, this is so fucking Frasier. See, now I, I want to see, got, now I I see that scene. I want to see that scene redone with the part of Wolverine played by David Hyde Pierce. <laughs> yes. Uh, Frasier has left the building. It's just a lot of, like, whimpering. Did anyone mention the, uh, the, the giant um, continuity error between Which? the moving of the, the Golden Gate Bridge to actually getting across the Golden Gate Bridge when it is suddenly, like, eight hours later? <laughs> No, I had not noticed. That. The sun sets yeah, very like, quickly. Well, yeah, night falls. When it happens, and then cut to deep Maybe night. Maybe it's dusk. Maybe uh. it's dusk. I don't know. Uh, well, no, but also one camera shot to the next goes from full daylight to full night. Look, look. We don't know how long it takes to move the Golden Gate Bridge <laughs> we watch from it where happen. it is we know to exactly how long it takes. And maybe it took. Maybe it took longer. Maybe it's just compressed editing. You don't yeah, know. It and, took and, a few and, hours. In two thousand one, you can't yeah. do it. All in right. 2001, we jump like two million years in the span of one cut. We can jump yeah. a couple hours in the span of another cut, dude. <laughs> yeah. All right. That said, there's like a structural problem though because he like lifts it and there's it doesn't seem like there's a stable way to put it down and then all of a sudden it's completely stable. Yeah. Oh, totally. <laughs> that yeah. must yeah. have been yeah. what they were doing in those eight work. hours. They were they were going back and moving <laughs> the support bri- uh, supports from uh, 
the the other part of the bay. Yeah, well, yeah. It's Magneto. Magneto's standing on top of the bridge, and he's looking mm-hmm. around. Like, oh, this won't work. Uh, <laughs> go, go, go back. I can't. I can't just set it down here. It's gonna sag into the bay. There are sharks it's... in there. I'm trying to protect the. Well, because what he could have done is like have everybody walk off, like stop the bridge, and it could have been very interesting to be like, look at all those humans sitting on that bridge. Like, I hope he doesn't kill yeah. us. And he's just like, oh, I'm done with the bridge. Drop. Oh, yeah. was the little boy in the back of the in the back of that uh, car or SUV? The the kid from Modern Family. He looked like the kid from Modern Family to me. Oh, I missed hmm. that. The 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 uh, younger daughter from uh, the Good Wife is in here. She plays the little girl that uh, uh, Mystique turns into. Yeah. So that's there. Uh, while we're talking about the bridge, one thing that I noticed was uh, at some point Magneto starts flinging cars in the air and Pyro uh, sets them on fire and they've got some great teamwork going on there. Uh, and the film seems to kind of forget that there's people inside those cars. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no there's no real indication that that's happening to the point where B- uh, Bobby uh, uses his flame powers to stop one of the uh, cars and it just fucking falls to the ground in such a way that everybody in that car is dead. Wait a minute. Uh, so good, good work, Bobby. Are you saying that uh, you think that the people are still in the cars when they're being thrown at the yes. facility? Yes, I Why do. Why would they not have abandoned their cars like everyone else on the bridge? Uh, I think at one point they throw a truck, and you can clearly see that it's empty. Uh, didn't Magneto lock everybody into the cars? No, we did the, see people the, unable to get out. That's a one-off no, they joke. did that. They're There's afraid of him. In the car <laughs> that was locking uh... the vehicle as if they were in a bad neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Okay, well. I still prefer to think that they're just uh, lobbing people. That they're just murdering more and more people. Okay. <laughs> they're murdering more also, and more people. And then very, Bobby doesn't care. It's a very comic book kind of uh, decision-making from Magneto because they're like, how are we going to get to the island? And he's like, leave that to me. Instead of just saying, like, yeah. oh, I'm going to pick up the bridge and move it. So that they all got there and they're all like, well, are we going to take the ferry? What? What's the plan? Yeah, I was gonna, that's it. He could have... <laughs> he could, he could, he he could have chartered a ferry if he really wanted to. <laughs> well, he also could have floated a ferry. He doesn't need to charter yeah. it. He's not going to pay the humans for his the ferry. He's going to fucking steal it. But uh, see, this is, this is it. He's he's such a uh, a drama queen. If he just dials it back a little bit, just takes a boat, first of all, people are not going to see him coming. Second of all, people are not going to say, oh my god, these mutants are terrible. Look at what they did to the Golden Gate Bridge. Yeah, uh, he's not very good at the optics of this. No, I just checked, and it was it was not the boy from Modern Family, so oh, that was okay. my mistake. Well, we've all learned something today. So. <laughs> well, he could have been uncredited. We don't know. Uh, it's possible, but it wasn't listed on his own IMDb page. No. Uh, so yeah, maybe, maybe maybe he left this off. <laughs> yeah. So Storm, who's now he was a little ashamed of yeah, being Storm, who's now the leader of the X Men, I guess. Uh, assembles the beast and everybody else to go fight the Brotherhood in yeah. San Francisco, and it's funny because she's the leader of the X Men, but it's still like Wolverine is the one we have to listen to all the time. Yeah, yes. That that super annoyed me just because like Storm canonically is like takes on this mantle, and she doesn't get to do anything except to be like Logan's like now we're gonna work together, and she's like okay awesome, and then it just like goes from there. Well, she gets really to greet think... Angel and tell him that the school is still open. Mm-hmm. Uh, she she <laughs> takes kind of <laughs> a leadership true. position right there. And, and she gets to have a bunch of fights with, is it Calypso? Callisto? What's her Callisto, name? Callisto, yes. Callisto, yeah. Callisto. And my favorite part of those fights, both of them, is that Callisto is using her, like, super speed warping powers, and all she uses it for is to sucker punch uh, 
uh, Storm right in the face. Like, she's standing 20 feet away, and there's, like, this pause of, like, I'm about to use my powers for something awesome, and she just does it to clock her in the face. <laughs> this is the instance of, again, the decision to cast Halle Berry in this role in the year 2000 continues to haunt these films. <laughs> because, you know, first of all, this is a film that is very obviously there were a lot of studio notes coming down yeah mm-hmm. and you know that a lot of those notes were more Halle Berry she's a star and yet the more screen time that she got did not translate into her having more to do or being better written or being a better no. actress she's got better hair that's true the, the hair, hair the hair pretty great almost looks normal Although I did, did anyone else think that uh, Wolverine's hair looked weird in this movie? Looked bad. Looked really yeah, bad. Yeah, like I mean, I, I realize they're going for you know Wolverine's comic tall weird hair thing, but it just looks like a really bad wig, which it clearly is. <laughs> I feel like it needs to be toned down to slightly like not three inches above his head the way that it is. Yeah, I don't want to pick on my, the hair podcast. My, my, my categories. My categories. I don't want to pick on Halle Berry's acting, but man, that one scene where, when to be fair, Hugh Jackman's really bad in it too. That one scene where they both are reacting to Professor X's empty chair, it is mm-hmm. it is level one acting of just like, oh man, you guys want to try this again? Like, as humans I just this think time? Hugh, Hugh Jackman was terrible throughout this film. And that mm-hmm. really bothered me because in the first two films he did... He's he's not playing the Wolverine from the comics necessarily, but he's doing a very good job of of playing that sort of tortured hero character, and uh, not in this film. In this film, he's just he's a guy. He is playful. He calls Beast Furball. Yeah, and it's he's, like he's this too cool for school outsider, and it's like this is your third rodeo guy. Like you've been around. Yeah. <laughs> In the first two films, he's always like, I'm a loner, and then he teams up with everybody. In the first two films, he was playing Han Solo, and in this film, he's playing Fonzie, and it doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I feel like there's a drastic difference in characterization for pretty much all of the characters. Uh, mm-hmm. That I mean, you can really tell that it's not the same team making well, this one and, as the and two that's, previous films. That, that's what's interesting when you think about the production shuffle, because... Brian Singer and his crew did a very good job in the first two films of really defining a tone and defining a world and defining a visual style. And you can see Ratner and crew inherited that work that had Mm -hmm. already been done, and so they could build on that a little bit. But when left to their own devices, they had no idea what to do with it. Yeah, they didn't appreciate uh, the the complexities. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. Or at least didn't have the skill to carry them out. Yeah. uh, I was a little disappointed that they, like, Magneto obviously comes out of the, the Holocaust and uh, goes through time to become a new Hitler-type figure where he's mm-hmm. trying to commit genocide. Uh, but there's not really much discussion. There's never any discussion of that. Uh, nope. And it, it seems like, you know, a, a major missed opportunity uh, when he's, you know, giving that Hitler speech out in the woods at, you know, Occupy Mutant Woods. Um Hashtag Occupy Mutant Woods. Uh, uh, Occupy that, Alcatraz. Yeah, there you go. Occupy Alcatraz. Uh, Weird thing about Multiple Man, though, in that in that moment when they when the the military gets um, tricked, mm-hmm. like, did none of them get like regular visual confirmation? <laughs> 
like wouldn't they have seen that there no. were like many McStevens? Sir, there's a lot of there's a lot of one guy there. If after he uh <laughs> after he turns back to to one guy, you can see that there are dozens and dozens of different colored wigs <laughs> all over <laughs> the ground. <laughs> That would He's be great. That would he help. A, he has a like, you know, like, so The dresses all fall to the floor. He like... has like a Party City version of Magneto's costume. <laughs> that would be great. Multiple clown I wigs. I need this now. <laughs> this is making me angry. Um, oh, Arlie Ermy was good for, you know, yeah. five seconds. His voice was very good. Yeah. Yeah, I don't think he's on screen. Nope. Nobody gets Can to yell a lot about, about no, no metal. Uh, Iceman. Yeah. Can we talk the... about how much Kitty Pride, just in general? So good. <laughs> she, she, like, I uh, see. I I appreciate Kitty Pride. I like Kitty Pride as a character. I like Ellen Page. I think it's good casting. But again, there there is. She has her her little moment at the end. But we're not given anything to build to that. The introduction that we have to Kitty Pride is in the Danger Room, where we are supposed to already know who she is. Well, we've seen her. We've seen her character in the two previous. We, right. we've, uh, we've seen her character played by two different actresses. Yeah, but in yes, yeah. she wasn't Ellen Page. Before. I know, but she's yeah, easily identifiable. She's the only you know, e even if she's well, a different. Uh, uh, I mean, actress, she's identifiable. She's the only one with that power. Yeah, but I mean, to go back yeah, to your I... point about uh, like they don't know what Sentinels are. We know mm -hmm. what Sentinels are. Mm -hmm. The an audience that doesn't know who Kitty Pride is doesn't know who Kitty Pride is when that little girl runs through the wall in X two. Yeah. I know, but you don't need uh, to know who she is. I mean, I don't know anything about her as a character except she has a long-standing love complication with Colossus. Well, we that's that's okay because after this film, we don't know anything about her as a character either, and that's yeah. the problem. Like she she yeah. is introduced as a power played by mm -hmm. an actress that we we recognize, mm -hmm. but we don't know anything about Kitty Pride. Yeah. And we're never told anything. We don't see anything about her, except yeah. that she's apparently uh, now dating Iceman, who is the world's worst she's boyfriend. She's the other woman. Yeah. She's the, and that's, I think, what was confusing to me was I was like, who, who am I supposed to be angry at yeah. in this love triangle? Because it's Bobby. Like, You're supposed to be mad at Bobby because fuck Bobby. <laughs> yeah. Which pains me because Iceman is my favorite X-Man, but fuck Bobby. <laughs> but this is also yeah. a horrible also version went, of Iceman. He went full Iceman fuck in this, Bobby. which was great. He, yeah, he does get that one moment where he gets to go full Iceman, and you think it's going to be really cool, but it looks like CGI out of a car commercial. Mm -hmm. uh -huh. But this, I mean, he, as stupid he uses as his amazing ice powers to headbutt a dude. As yeah. stupid as heroes became very quickly, I mean, the whole love triangle stuff, like, you basically need an episode to devote to, like, oh, what's Rogue doing? You need an episode of a television yeah, yeah. show to just be about that, because to just introduce, like, three scenes of like oh she's really struggling with this well see you in a half hour it's you know yeah <laughs> this yeah, vanishes I mean, go on yeah, from the go, yeah I mean to go back to Stefan's earlier point when I sat down to watch this movie I was like oh this is gonna be bad I hated this movie before and I looked at the runtime. I was like oh it's like 104 minutes that's fine mm -hmm. uh, yeah. but yeah it really it really could do with like you know even just like 15 minutes more give us you know Mm -hmm. Give us a little something of what Rogue's up to. Give us, mm -hmm. God, give us some more stuff with uh, Angel so that, you know, any of the stuff that's happening with him means anything. Give one, us some more Scott before he yeah. dies. One scene of Cyclops would have been nice. Yeah, yeah. Let, let Jean Grey do something in the middle hour of the movie because after she blows up uh, Professor X, she does nothing until she blows up Alcatraz. 
Uh, when she blew up, I mean, I understand that in in the heat of battle and people are escaping and stuff, maybe someone wouldn't think of this, but the entire situation would have been resolved if they'd sent Leech over to Jean Grey. Uh, <laughs> She's too powerful. Right past her. <laughs> no, that's true. Just like go over and stand been blown up. But yeah, it's because one of those. Clearly, her powers extend further than his powers do. Yeah, it's like, one of those things Beast, that Beast is like ten feet okay. away from him when his hand goes humid, yeah. whereas Jean Grey is blowing fuckers up from like a half mile away. Yeah, Beast it's one of those things where at least hand. one of the characters should have addressed why they can't do that. Yeah. Yeah, there should have been some quick like, quick use the boy. No, he'll die. And and Wolverine or, has to like heroically say, no, I'll do it. I'm the guy who won't die. Use one of those four just... vials that they stab Magneto with to shoot Jean Grey. Oh no, we needed all the vials, yeah. all of them. No, because she blow up the vial in midair. <laughs> uh, she can clearly do that. And I, this is like the the most nitpicky nitpick that I have for this film. But it drives me nuts that when Beast gets close to. Uh, leech that his hair goes away because you know dna is obviously made of living tissue or hair is made of living dna tissue that is going to be affected by uh, a fundamental change in his dna uh, mm -hmm. so it would it his would mutant power is hair into his body yeah. i'm pretty sure one of like the brotherhood of evil in, mutants uh, we film. see is like a gelatinous flaming skeleton who immediately turns into a human again <laughs> so i think we just kind of have to just go with it that yeah. that's how yeah. That's how uh, the cure works. To be mm -hmm. fair, a lot of uh, X-Men characters in the 90s were just, well, you kind of have to go with it. <laughs> and that's the big thing that this film ultimately comes back to for me. This does not just feel like a bad X-Men story. This feels like a bad X-Men story from about 1994. <laughs> uh, Overpacked with characters that mean nothing but kind of look cool. You've got my favorite is again the guy who's growing bone knives and throwing. That's I was just gonna mention him. Who is, is he? Ex an existing character? I have no that idea. Marrow? That was wild. Is, that's Marrow's is that a woman. Marrow's power. Yes, that's they took Marrow, who's a Morlock, so she's associated with Callisto. But that's a girl, mm -hmm. and it would have been too many girls, I guess. So they made it a <laughs> boy and changed its I like name how to Kid Omega. They made. Yeah. I like how ag like aggressively they tried to make the uh, make like the new Brotherhood recruits from that church like cool because they're all in like S and M gear oh, yeah. and they're all like, "You say you're a mutant? Where's your ink? Where's the ink, man? Yeah. Bet you don't even have ink, bro." <laughs> yeah, because obviously all mutants have tattoos, apparently. Yeah, and then again, you're like. I chaotic evil mutants. I understand that this is supposed to be a, a dramatic moment that's supposed to sober up the situation when Magneto shows his Holocaust yeah. uh, brand, but do framing it in such a way where the dialogue basically boils down to, show me your ink, bro! And he's like, I have ink! Yeah. It, it does <laughs> not, it does not play dramatically. Yes. No Nito will ever touch my skin again. And then, yeah. ironically, it oh, does. Yeah, think about think it. That's him. what yeah. happens! It's, it comes back! <laughs> This yeah. film is tightly put together. I, I just I just put that together. Yeah, yeah you see, there's layers. We all have been <laughs> shitting on Brett Ratner, but there's layers upon layers. There's needles and no, then needles, and needles come into him. There's upon layer. That's yeah. it. There it's is the, a it's, layer. A layer is happening here, yeah. which, to be yeah. fair, is more credit than I was giving this before. Yeah. Yep. It's uh, the, mul the multiple layers of Brett Ratner, um, which is his, yeah. his debut album. I didn't. I didn't see this for myself, but my girlfriend read on Wikipedia that apparently the studio really did not want the Phoenix Saga to be the plot yeah. of this film. 
thought it was uh, too dark, not commercial enough. And, and I assume too, uh, too uh, lady focused. No, too like comic book oriented, too obscure. I guess it's too much of a yeah. deep cut. I don't know. What uh, do you mean? She's a flaming starbird. Yeah, yeah, it's literally that's... the most famous X Men story there is. And one yeah, of the that's... one of the well, like, if you made a list of ten seminal comic book stories, it would be high on that list. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, no, okay. it's well, just and like, you it's easily not, not it's What's so frustrating is you easily could have used the same basic arc of it, of, like, have her, you know, seemingly join the Brotherhood, but then mm-hmm. basically turn against the Brotherhood at the end of Act 2 and be like, uh, just kidding, I was yeah. just doing this for fun or whatever to see what it's so like. Substitute the Brotherhood for the Hellfire Club. Right. And, and you're there. It's, it's the, the, it, it fits. It works. But, see, the problem is that's not really a Wolverine story. <laughs> can't have that. You cannot nope. have an X-Men movie that's not a Wolverine story, no matter what. Which, I mean... It... And that's the thing, is Gene... Gene Scott is, like, the heart of that in some ways. Oh, yeah, like, totally. it, it's a... Like, they balance each other. That's their that's their purpose. I don't need that. <laughs> like, who needs, like, non, you know, semi-healthy love when, like, you can have Wolverine being totally cool with, this, with her yin. complete change in behavior. Like, she, like... It just it's very weird when she wakes up yeah. and mm-hmm. is suddenly like this sexually frustrated like Well she wakes up Please as Phoenix. jump me. Yeah. Um Yeah. Yeah, it's uh, And she wants to be in the bone zone. <laughs> <laughs> he just but he the doesn't like notice that there's anything zone. wrong until she hurts him. Ew. I don't yeah. think his dick is covered in adamantium. I hope it's not. <laughs> uh, Stefan, I don't know if you're aware of this, but there is not actually a bone inside of the human penis. <laughs> Maybe not on you. But but there might be in a wolverine penis. I need to there, check that out. There might be. I, there are mammals sure. that have them. Yes. You said uh, to yeah, coat all of his bones in adamantium, sir. Uh, and, and wasn't there like the idea that the original explanation was for Wolverine was that he was going to be a, a mutated An actual, actual Wolverine. Wolverine. Yeah. Yes. Yep. With his canine sense of smell. But then Stanley got grossed out by Spider Woman being an evolved spider who turned into a lady. <laughs> Although to, to is be... that wait, is that Spider Woman's origin? It, it was originally. It was, but then <laughs> Stanley was like, That's gross. <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't wasn't she made though because they were gonna lose the title yeah. to the name or it, something. It was, it was and they a were like, We thing. need somebody who's outside Spider Verse. Right. Yeah. They were and so they, they were gonna Jessica make Drew. a cartoon already, I think. That was already in the works. So they they rushed out Spider Woman. Yeah. Cause She Hulk was the same way, right? She Hulk the problem was Gotta that the television the show was gonna get a female. Yep. Yep. Oh. Stanley actually wrote that after he was basically done with Marvel. He came back just to write She Hulk. Mm-hmm. Because he had to get created by Stan Lee on it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> he won't allow it. Well, she is sensational. The sensational Stan. Excelsior! So that is uh, <laughs> X-Men 3. Yeah, I, I think we're, uh, we've done this for an hour and a half now. I think maybe we should, we should try to wrap up. Will this be the first yeah. one that ends up under the runtime of the film? I think oh, it might be. It might be. I think oh. we we were like, there's not enough character development to discuss yeah, here. There's not so a lot of meat on this bone. I, yeah. I feel like there are a couple things I'd like to, or yeah. at least one thing yeah. I'd like to discuss. Oh yeah, is like, sure. What are what are ways that this movie could have been better? Like, I I feel like the the discussion at the very beginning and uh, uh 
what Professor X says about what he does with Jean Grey's mind to wall it off, like, they have the potential to do a huge thing about child psychology and living with trauma or, you know, having parts of yourself that, you know, you, you like, can't deal with or whatever. And especially with so many mutants uh, coming from troubled backgrounds that they really could have done something interesting in that so, regard. So you're, you're, you're saying, like, keep... It- Ignore all the stuff we've been saying about how to do the Dark Phoenix saga better. Just keep the same constraints of the film. Mm-hmm. How do you do this film better? Uh, yeah, like, yeah, t- take the, the story that uh, they've given us and yeah. uh, make it more nuanced. Like, what other yeah. scenes could we have added with these other characters that would have made them more interesting or would have been more true to the previously established characterization? I mean, I think, I, I mean, uh, when Chris sort of did his very quick summary of it and he listed off, like, four or five different plots, mm-hmm. uh, I honestly think just scuttling one of the main plots would have done wonders. Like, if this was just, you know, a rough adaptation of Whedon's Gifted or just a rough adaptation of the, the Dark Phoenix saga. And obviously it doesn't have to, you know, follow either of those storylines, you know, point by point. But, you know, focus on one or the other. Either either decide this is Jean Grey's movie or this is, you know, Magneto versus The Cure movie. Because mm-hmm. uh, it's just kind of trying to have it both ways and neither of them really work. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think you can dovetail... But I think you can dovetail the plots because if you want an argument for the mutant cure, it's Jean. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, it's Jean and it's Rogue. But the... The thing is that I think the problem may partially be that there's so many new characters. Mm-hmm. It's almost like they were trying to sell toys. Yeah. yeah. Like no. like they like <laughs> it was this idea of like add all of the ter- characters and all of the toys and like I almost wanted there to be like extra vehicles, yeah. you know? Like they were yeah. like how do we add more vehicles well, to I, this? I, I think that yeah, the, like the end of Batman and Robin. Yeah. I, I think that the second part of that is not only are there far too many characters, uh, there's not a protagonist in this film. There's not a character whose journey that we're supposed to be following. Mm-hmm. Ostensibly, it should be Jean Grey. Or from the setup at the beginning of the film, it could be Angel. Yeah. Um, it's definitely but, not Angel. They yeah, kind of try and set him up that way. It's definitely it, not It yeah. really seems like they, they missed an opportunity to, to blend those three, uh, to blend Angel, Jean Grey, and Rogue, uh, yeah. and discuss the, the different feelings you could have about the mutant cure. Uh, yeah. with three distinct approaches and relationships to the family and relationships to their own past and who, how they view themselves. Right. Uh, I mean, as... They, re- they really... They seem to lose... I mean, looking back about what I really liked about the Singer films is they did... Obviously, they gave Cyclops kind of the short shrift, but you mm-hmm. do get the sense of, oh, Wolverine and Rogue have this kind of r- close relationship. And like, oh, Rogue has this relationship with this character and these things. And so if you want to tell the story, really sort of root it to the characters. So you're like, Rogue is really struggling with this. And then, you know, Storm has this other viewpoint. Why does Storm feel this way kind of thing? So that we actually know a little bit more in based on what the characters feel instead of just like things are happening. Like there's yeah. characters yeah. everywhere and yeah. whatever. Because, I mean, I don't think Wolverine and Rogue have one scene together. And and their relationship was the entire core of the first movie. Yeah. Right. And their scene together is very touching. I thought it was one of the better scenes in the film. But... Yeah. um, Well, and the most sophisticated, dramatic question of the film, the one that seems to get, like, that seems like the A-plot... That's the problem. Is I don't know what the A-plot is. It it seems like a series of bullet points rather than a 
a level thing, um, but yeah, it's. It seems like the A plot is the tragic story of a man who finally gets the last opposition to boning the woman he wants to bone out of the yeah. way because she kills him and he still doesn't get to bone her. Aww. But he does get to he stab to kill her, her with his with her uh, And I mean, one, um, one of the things I'm thinking is I don't think Jean Grey actually has in this movie anything to do with the Cure storyline. No. Like, there's no. like Magneto shows her the cure at one point and is like, see, this is what they want to do with us. And she has literally zero reaction whatsoever because she's just in a weird Phoenix catatonic state. Yeah. So there's, you know, we're, we're talking about this idea that, you know, we could definitely talk about, you know, the cure in terms of these three kind of characters, you know, Rogue as the, as the character who, you know, wants it. Uh, and you know that makes sense and that's sympathetic and warren is you know maybe the guy who wanted it before but he's come to terms with his powers and he doesn't want to change and you know phoenix is you know the actual like worst case scenario you know like maybe the maybe the military is justified in doing this but there's no actual interaction between gene gray and the cure storylines it's like the mm -hmm. cure storyline ends and then gene gray wakes up and just goes crazy and starts melting everybody with her mind yeah, uh, and it, it what are you like, doing? It's very and Jean was there. It, it feels yeah, like she was standing were... there doing nothing the entire time. <laughs> she was there too, right? Well, and the reason is because this is a clumsy adaptation of a story that didn't have Jean Grey in it. You know, it's just kind of like if you watch those uh, X Men cartoons of the episodes that are like the Phoenix yeah. Saga or the things that they very clearly adapted. Like, watch what Gambit does in those episodes <laughs> because it's nothing. He wasn't yeah. written into those episodes. <laughs> There's like Although three to be fair, drawings Magneto of is not in that. Uh, Magneto is not in the gifted storyline either. Uh, but yeah, although it makes like a little more have. sense to use him as the antagonist in it yeah. than it does to use the alien from Breakworld. True, <laughs> uh, and I think it also makes a lot more sense. I think Rogue makes a lot more sense as kind of the you know person who's tormented by you know should I should I not as opposed yeah, to Beast because yeah. Beast A Beast seems like he's doing pretty well for himself and B Beast is somebody we've never seen before. And, you know, it's nice to sort of have this character that, you know, we understand their powers, we understand why their powers, you know, make their life not very good. Uh, as opposed to, you know, Beast, who's, you know, pretty much winning at life here. He's, you know, an awesome, sexy blue guy who's, you know, now the uh, ambassador to the UN. Yeah. Well, I had a question about that. Do you think Rogue, does she have, like, a latex allergy or something? Is there a reason? Because she's like... I can't hug oh, anyone. Ah, this is Lillian's <laughs> favorite topic. We talked about this on the yeah on the previous podcast. How uh, silly it is that uh, no one ever discusses with her, uh, or that they never have a realistic discussion of various options she can have for yeah, physical. Yeah, there's absolutely it, it something you can so come up depressed. with. It makes me so depressed. Yeah, even Iceman yeah. could turn could cover himself in a layer of ice. <laughs> yeah, he proved that he could do that now. <laughs> Ooh, that is a good. I don't know, but is is his ice his skin or is it just ice around his skin? Because doesn't well, he just turn he, into ice? Yeah, not turn into but, ice, but cover himself in a separate yeah, layer of ice. She's, we we just need to sit her, rogue but... down with like a sex positive feminist who can just explain mm -hmm. her options <laughs> and you know like here just be like these, rogue, honey, these, toys, these options, toys, toys, fine. toys well, you know, gloves, <laughs> fetish wear, options exist. You know, explore your options. Girl, this I wasn't work. even talking about just sex. I was just talking about like she can just Gloves. wear like a layer of clothing or whatever that covers her, mm -hmm. just like a, you know a plastic whatever, 
and problem I'm just solved picturing her, for the most part. W- w- like holding her, her hand inside of her coat sleeve, you know, like when you're trying to put on your coat. <laughs> I'm just picturing her like walking around uh, with, with her hands in her sleeves, like holding hands like this all the time. <laughs> just give her mittens. She can yeah. always wear mittens. Well, no, and that's the thing is that she she says the one thing that she actually physically can't do because there's not a good answer for it, which is I can't kiss my boyfriend. Mm-hmm. And that is sad. Mm-hmm. But the problem is there's no time given to this moment. And there's no, like, because Bobby is, like, why is Bobby skating with Kitty? Like, does Kitty really need that much support see, right no, now? I, I don't I'm think. God damn it, Bobby. We, see, pe- people want to, we've talked about this. So we want to cast Bobby as kind of the bad guy here. But I don't buy that just because everything we see about Bobby in this film just tells us that he's really dumb. Yeah, he's so fucking clueless. He's supposed to be a teenage boy, right? He's not trying to do anything bad. He's just really dumb. How old are these kids supposed to be? Yeah, they're like eighteen, nineteen. So of course he's gonna—he's not gonna understand like the way that you know his uh, his reckless actions are gonna affect her. Yeah, but it's very clear that you know Rogue is having a really hard time of it right now. Yes, Professor X is even Colossus knows this. She always Yeah, but like (laughs) Professor X told everyone, he wakes up in the morning after uh, after the funeral, and the first thing he does is for some reason attend a high level meeting about what's going to happen to the Xavier Institute. For some reason, these two students are there uh, giving their input for reasons. I wish I wish Jubilee I wish Jubilee was silently there, just like. It's like, you know, one in the afternoon by the time he strolls over to Rogue's room to find out if she's even fucking there, and literally everybody on campus already knows that she left in the middle of the night. God damn it, Bobby. What the fuck? Do you think, yeah. Col- when Do you you think Colossus in this on version? Campus, you mean just the one guy that he asks, right? Well, Wolverine also knows. Yeah, but Colossus sure would be the last guy to know. Yeah. I'm co- almost certain that he is the last person to know. You think Colossus in this version had like you know a flirtation with Shadowcat like that we didn't see between X two and X three and now it's over like what he, he doesn't have a character so grim about all. it. <laughs> I don't think they have any lines at each other like no. Colossus yeah. has like three Four. lines I think or something. Two, it's maybe? so bizarre. Do we even see Colossus like Colossus himself? Yeah, he Colossus like, himself in the danger room. Yeah, in the opening danger room. And then he does it to. Uh, then he does it to Wolverine during the faint uh, to, like, distract Magneto while Beast uh, yeah. needles him. Oh, yeah. Well, can we... One of the things... So that whole, like, we're going to throw Wolverine thing. Like, why would you throw the guy who Magneto can feel all of his metal? Because it's a distraction. Yeah, It's a like, distraction. It's a the distraction. entire point is yeah. that, like, oh, look at those idiots over there. They're trying to do that thing that I <laughs> yeah. can easily do. So he's not paying attention just... to the other blue dude. Like, yeah. that was my I thought process. I guess I just... I, I thought that... Eric... Yeah, and then I Magneto says I thought Eric would that. be smart enough to be like, wow, that was really stupid. We've established yeah. already like, that... that, that uh, his, that reaction. Yeah. his reaction is, you never learn. He yeah. clearly thinks it's stupid, but he doesn't realize that it's intentionally stupid. And we have established at this point over the course of three films that depending on the context, Eric is exactly as smart as the plot needs him to be at that particular moment. Yeah, I think that's yeah. my problem, is he's so smart in two. And he's exactly where he needs to be. Like, he's yes. in the middle of that forest for no apparent reason in X2 mm-hmm. just to save their plane. Mm. Yeah. And then he's or is like, that yeah. X1? Two. That's, that's two, two. Yeah. 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 It's on the way to Alkali yeah. Lake. Eric has so much hubris. I love what you've so done with hubris. your hair. No. <laughs> no, we love. We, we love what you've done they're, with your they're hair. They're whispering about Rogue's yeah. hair. And then yeah, they they're, they're gossiping. Yeah. We love what you've done with your hair. I don't know why I've given him a German <laughs> He's accent. German, yeah. <laughs> 
Well, yeah, he should have a German yeah. accent. Ron Blue character. They love what you have done with your hair. Yeah. What you done with your hair? It's fantastic. I didn't I notice it. Did this movie have a throwaway line explaining why Nightcrawler's just gone, or is he just gone? Nope. No, nope. I looked no. it up, and he, uh, the, there was a video game that took place between 2 and 3 that was supposed to be canonical, and he leaves in the video game uh, explaining that the, the X-Men uh, are too violent for him, and he doesn't want to be associated with that much violence. And no, okay. it is never addressed. <laughs> Well, Patrick, Reasonable. from a from an out-of-film standpoint, I think Patrick mentioned to me that it was actually that Alan Cumming, because the, the blue paint is obviously super bad for it's your uncomfortable. skin. uncomfortable. Yeah, and, uh, but Alan Cumming was told by his doctors that he could not mm. do the blue paint Why again. Why didn't they just give him a, I mean, they don't have to paint him. They could yeah. give him a mask. No, <laughs> like, no he, he, he was told by his doctors that he couldn't do the blue paint. Immediately after he gave his doctor the script for X Men: The Last Stand, <laughs> there you go. Yeah. If his it was agent, a script that had Dr. Nightcrawler Smith. in it, it was yeah. probably better than this script. But we, probably I mean, too. Nightcrawler. We didn't perfect. need a huge, you know, denouement about Nightcrawler, but it just would have been nice yeah. to be like, you know, so much of X Two was about introducing that character and how mm-hmm. he's, you know, kind yeah. of important, and it's like, oh, he's yeah. gone forever. Yeah. Well, we replaced Pretty him with like, another blue acrobat. <laughs> Yeah, but yeah particularly fun. how overstuffed this movie is with every mm-hmm. goddamn mutant, including some that you've never heard of and some yeah. that have names of mutants you've never heard of but clearly aren't those mutants. Yeah. Uh, that, you know, somewhere, you know, have, you know... The or, beloved breakout s- character from the last film. Yeah. yeah, have Storm, you know, say something to Professor X about, oh, I miss... Uh, what's his actual name? Kurt. 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 Or something I like that. You know, it's like... I nice. want, but I want Raven. I want Raven to talk to him about parentage and stuff. I want that movie. That would be yeah. so I Raven. It. I need it. Also, I have a question. <laughs> That's so Raven. Does... Oh wait, 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 wait. We do need to talk about the fact that Rebecca Romaine, supermodel. We've gone over the runtime say... of the movie now. No. <laughs> Got to say, that's my slave name. Oh yeah! Oh yeah! Yeah. That blonde white supermodel goes. I won't respond to that. That's my slave. That's name. That's the moment though where I just kind of wrote down on my notes like, oh, all right, for a series of films that sometimes handles things delicately, but often is not very subtle about them. We're not even uh-huh. going to get the basest level of subtlety in this film. No. 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 Uh, I have a question. Not self-aware. But was Storm ever referred to? by her proper name in any of the earlier movies? In the first film, she's she's introduced as Aurora Monroe in the first film. Okay, okay, I couldn't remember if anyone ever called her Aurora, because I just, I just, I always remember that everyone's fucking calling each other by their, uh, by their code names, which I always find very obnoxious. Also known as Cyclops. Mostly known as Cyclops. I've only ever... (laughs) I've only ever seen Storm's name written as Aurora, and I never thought about the fact that it's almost Aurora, uh, like the Aurora Borealis. Uh, mm. So it's there's a you know a Storm basis in her human name. Uh, Blowing my mind, yeah, man. I just I never blowing my that. mind. Anyway, uh, and remember the needles. The needles went into his skin. Mind blown. <laughs> Layers. Layer. Layers. Layers, man. So much writing. Uh, yeah. Wait, wait, wait. And the other. Maybe I the seem other a bit confused. The other great line that, like, you could tell that either Zach Penn, probably Zach Penn, was very proud of himself for was, not all of us heal as quick as you do, Logan. Yeah. <laughs> that was good. And then oh. Scott just turned. I laughed One at other that. Thing I, I liked, was like, uh, I really liked Magneto's speech in the church where he talks about, you know, 
uh, when the the roundup comes or whatever, you know, mm-hmm. when th- they're already like yeah. gathering people. I, I really felt for the the characters at that point because I it, it put me in the minds of you know the 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 Morlocks or the individual mutants who mm-hmm. you know th- there is no great mutant network. They, they don't have communication with each other, and it would be genuinely terrifying. Uh, to, to exist in this world as a mutant and know that they could just, you know, come knock in your door totally. any night. Uh, come and knock on our door. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that might be the first time that anyone has uh, even remotely compared the, uh, the, the Nazi roundup of, uh, of everyone to Three's Company. I bet, I, I bet it's not the first time. Yeah. I bet somebody somewhere on the internet has, has made some sort of weird... Nazis Three's Company reference. Okay, yeah, dry, it's driest company. Yeah, driest uh, <laughs> company. Uh, okay, I, th- I think with, with that comparison, we've officially reached the point of diminishing returns. Not gonna top that. Yeah. Uh, okay, so ha- having hit the point where we're comparing uh, Nazism to Three's Company, shall we go to For our which closing? Which we deeply apologize. Yes, we we deeply yes. apologize to the Ritter family. Oh, um, God. <laughs> and to everyone else in the world. <laughs> yes. Uh, maybe we should move to our closing thoughts. So uh, how about, uh, Chris, we'll start with you. What are uh, final final words on this film? I mean, and like we, we, like we said, this is the rare case. I mean, to me, this is more than a 90-minute film. This is plotted like a four-hour HBO miniseries. You know, that's three or four episodes, mm-hmm. maybe a double, you know, two part to start. But we just don't have enough to kind of know what this is about. Uh, I mean, as far as what we get, it's short. It's, you know, the actors are normally fine. The costumes are fine. It's not the worst superhero movie that's been made in the decade that you guys are looking at. Um, so that's all good. No, sir. But it also loses points because it's it just totally wrecks everything that came before. I mean, we barely talked about it, but the one of the last images of the movie before all the spoilery stuff is they just show Cyclops' grave, and you're like, oh, yeah, that guy died. That guy! Mm-hmm. Yeah. That hasn't been mentioned for, like, an hour and a half. Scott! Uh, what? The, the post-credits scene. Uh, did you guys see yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah, 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 where uh, Professor X comes back into that body, uh, Chekhov's uh, inanimate Stole, body. Yeah, Chekhov's brain dead body. <laughs> uh, Stole that dude's body. I really, I really hope he was played by Walter Koenig. <laughs> uh, <laughs> and he, uh, he has the the Patrick Stewart voice again, and I guess that's how he re-enters the the series at the end of uh, the Wolverine, the yeah. second Wolverine film. Um, but in that film, I believe he has Professor Professor X's body again. So I don't think that's ever addressed, right? <laughs> okay, it doesn't matter. We'll get to it in other films. These films no. are he, airtight. Yeah, he, he gets his body back for Days of Future Past. Yeah. Plastic yeah. surgery. Yeah. It's, all a, it's okay. all a glamour. I yeah. first stole his body, and then I could not abide not looking like myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Professor X is a jerk. Yeah. <laughs> He's already blown up. Fuck He's written guy. as a jerk in this film, certainly. But then everyone is like that when Ian McKellen or when Magneto abandons uh, Mystique, like that—that's oh. one of the worst things I've ever seen. Uh, yeah, like, such a dick move. Oh. Like in all of the she films. was so beautiful. <laughs> yeah, terrible, terrible Magneto. Uh, awful Magneto. Boo Magneto. Boo. boo, boo, 
Boo. Boo. They're calling again. Boo, Magneto. Boo. <laughs> Dude, does that count as your final thought? Sure. Boo, <laughs> Magneto. Boo. Boo. Boo, film. I mean, I genuinely thought I was that... saying boo urns. <laughs> this, this film had so many... Uh, I mean, I used the, the idea of threads earlier, that there are all these different threads that, that start interesting or, you know, they've got some beginning things going on. It it really feels like multiple writers worked on this. Each of them had some ideas that for things that could be woven through the whole, the, the whole of the film, uh, and none of them worked together, and the final cut of it didn't acknowledge... or Like, the person who did the final uh, version of the script didn't understand the the nuances or subtlety of any of the stuff that had been set up or any of the ways to get to the places it wanted to go to. Uh, but uh, in general, I thought the casting was, you know, great. Ellen Page, Kelsey Grammer, both good. Uh-huh. Uh, most of the previous actors, no major complaints. Um, costumes and effects, all pretty much good, except uh, the youngifying of the older actors. Uh, but I did really believe that Patrick Stewart could walk, so... Uh, <laughs> What an actor. Yeah. <laughs> what an actor. Lillian, your uh, your closing thoughts. Um, I, I like that, I think it was Chris who brought up the HBO idea, because I think that literally was the problem. Like, what it wanted to be was a seven-part HBO miniseries that was made by, you know, Fox Television. <laughs> um, And that's my problem, is I think that there's... There's a lot of opportunities to fan wank in this because, again, I, I will contend until the day I die that the best casting of any Marvel franchise is the X-Men franchise. Generally I think, well in done. general, they cast really, really well. Um, that, you know, I want... I want that last moment between Bobby and Rogue. I think it's really, really powerful, I think. And, like, though Bob... like Because I think what Bobby is trying to say is, like, you didn't have to do that for me... Because she seems to think that the like the way that she's wording it and the way that a nineteen year old boy would possibly hear it is that she's doing it for him, but she's like, No, I'm doing this for me. Mm-hmm. And he you know, seeing Rogue take control of her life that way closes the trilogy in a really great way. Seeing seeing Angel and his father as foils for Stryker and Jason closes the trilogy really, really well. Um that were developed in any way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, not developed in any way. So that's why it's like if it's if you fan wank it, it's so beautiful. Yes. Um, but instead, they just nuked the franchise. Like I was, I yeah. was left sort of sitting there counting the bodies, being like, "You've, you've effectively screwed." Like the reason they had to go back to a prequel, I think, was that there was nowhere to Which go. Which makes it all well, the more amazing that they were able to ever come back. <laughs> but yeah, was... it's just, and that was my problem is that they they physically nuked the franchise. They they had they revealed Professor X to instead of sort of leaking that very gentle idea of Professor X has very dark secrets because we all have very dark secrets and they started to do that with James McAvoy in Days of Future Past later, but th- but they sort of did jerk X all at once, <laughs> and it makes you be like I'm kind of glad he exploded. <laughs> I was very glad, glad that Eric is is hurt. <laughs> um, this was supposed to be the end of. So I yeah, mean... I just I I think the fact that this. It seems like this franchise, whether they meant to or not, this movie scorched Earth when what it should have been was conceived as a trilogy because they were obviously trying to do that. Nick, your final thoughts. Um, 
I mean, yeah, I, I agree with a lot of a lot of what the other final thoughts have been. Um, I think there's definitely some potential here, some sort of you know, a handful of good scenes and you know, some good ideas and you know, some note cards with this happens here and they're just in like the wrong order or they needed a second note card, something like that. Um, and I mean, I think we were talking earlier about the days of future past. I think, I think it's pretty significant that this is the movie that gets retconned out of existence by that movie. Well, they uh, all do, don't they? Um, I mean, with the exception I'm, of First Class. Uh, I thought that was the point, is that they wiped the slate clean of all of this trilogy. Yeah, yeah but... You, well, yeah, I suppose. Perhaps. Yeah, I mean, it's... But, th- I mean, this they, is they, the darkest they, time. They went out... The, the big twist is that, you know, the people who died in this movie are back. Well, yeah. that's the That's the thing. It's not like, you know... But no, none you of know, the main characters just... had died in any of the previous films. So. Yeah. But anyway, I think. But I, what I'm just saying is that you know, to get back to a contemporary time frame for the X Men, mm-hmm. they had to they had to kind of do a soft reboot. I mean, obviously, mm-hmm. it's not a full reboot because you know you're going to keep the same people around to some extent. Although I think Apocalypse is going to be all the first class kind of cast. Yep. Um, but and I, mean, I don't think I have a lot more to add. I will say uh, I've been trying to work in all the words from the Frasier uh, end <laughs> theme uh, throughout this episode. And to my great regret, I haven't worked in the phrase, I hear the blues of Colin. And no. I realized about five minutes ago, we keep talking about blue characters. And I missed my window on that. Didn't you At say that point, earlier? You I definitely said that earlier. You, you definitely said that earlier. Anyway, yeah. we kept talking about all the different blue characters. Yeah. And I was like, okay, so I have worked, I hear the blues of Colin. I just realized that the context yeah. was, you know, at some point when we're talking about <laughs> Mystique or Beast or uh, Nightcrawler, mm-hmm. something about the blues. Okay. Uh, See, but I think I got everything else on me. So, you know, I was wrong. I did say that. There's scrambled, uh, there's scrambled eggs all over my face. What is a boy to do? There is one more uh, one more blue thing that you haven't mentioned that you could have used to work that in. As well. uh, Iceman? You know what I'm talking about. I don't think Iceman? he does. He doesn't I get don't. it. Yeah. I don't. Blue I... e-cigs. What do you do? Yeah, what, oh, what do you do? I, just, I entirely <laughs> forgot about that. <laughs> That's not yeah. our sponsor anymore, Stefan. Don't bring them up. What, what is our sponsor now? Like Spamwitch or something Don't give like that? Frazier is our sponsor. God damn it. Our, clearly, our sponsor is Frazier. Okay, so that, that leads me to my final thought because uh, I agree with most everything that folks said. The big takeaway I had from this film is I really loved everything with Kelsey Grammer as Beast. Yes. And I think that the way that they could advance that is they could remake Frasier episode for episode, except everyone needs to be in Beast makeup. <laughs> wow. I would watch it. I'd watch the hell out of that. Yep. Yeah, uh, including, including that Jack is... Russell Terrier. He needs to be blue. I, uh, <laughs> this is the show that we deserve. Yep. I have one more Frasier thing to has say left about the, building. Uh, the retconning between this trilogy and uh, Days Star of Future Past. Uh, I'm sorry, go ahead. That uh, the, the other biggest change is that Trask goes from being played by Bill Duke to Peter Dinklage. Uh, <laughs> the same a, guy. Definitely the same guy. That was seamless <laughs> recasting. What are you talking about? Yeah. Seamless. Both could of be whom a are different very Trask. fine actors. Could be a yes. different Trask. Maybe it's maybe it's uh it, it could Peter be. Maybe Dinklage's it's his son. Well, uh, yeah. So, yeah, so <laughs> maybe they couldn't uh, they couldn't get Bill Duke, mm-hmm. but uh, they said you know Peter they Dinklage has such Bill broad Duke. range. They could get fucking Bill Duke. Let's That's be true. honest. Bill That's Duke true. was available. They didn't need <laughs> Bill Duke. 
No offense, Mr. They Duke. wanted Tyrion, and I think that was the right choice. Yes. <laughs> All right. Uh, at the two-hour mark, I think we have, we have come to the end of our X-Men The Last Stand slash X3 slash X3 Electric Boogaloo discussion. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Our next adventure into uh, the continuing world of, uh, of Marvel Cinema. Guys, I, I have good news uh, from a certain point of view. I, I think we have officially made it through the Black Period. We've made it through the darkness. We have walked through you the Valley of the Shadow it. of Death. <laughs> because our next film is the all-time classic, Ghost Rider, starring Nicolas Cage. Thank you! <laughs> Ghost Rider by the, <laughs> by the team that gave us Electra, yep. right? Yep. She's the don't, man. Don't ruin this for me. <laughs> Nicholas Cage was not in Electra, nor was uh oh my god, I've, I've Nicholas just Cage his name. did not play Electra. No, the main the main actor from Terriers, uh oh, Donald Logue. Yeah, Donald Logue. Yeah. He my was not favorite man either. ever. So uh, Nicholas Cage, Donald Logue. Ghost Rider. And Eva Mendez. <laughs> and, uh, and Sam Elliott. And, and Sam uh, Wes Bentley. And Peter Fonda as himself. Yes. <laughs> uh, good night, listeners. Good night, Seattle. We love you. Oh. <laughs> good night, Austin, Texas, wherever you are. If you're still listening, check out our podcast, Your Stupid Minds. Yeah, oh, yeah. Chris, Chris, plug your podcast again. Sorry. Explain what a podcast is again. Your Quick. Stupid Minds is the podcast. Uh, YourStupidMinds.com. We're on iTunes. Uh, we're all. You can also download everything from our site. So uh, if you enjoyed this, check out our site. I think you'll find it's better than 10 Super Bowls. Yeah. And the Super Bowl. They are hilarious, you guys. You serious? Like, they are hilarious. Nice. I will check Listeners, them out. You should check that out. Very cool. Right. Toss salad folks. and scrambled eggs. Hey, baby, I hear the blues are calling. Toss salad and scrambled eggs. Quite stylish. And maybe I seem a bit confused. Well, maybe, but I got you pegged. <laughs> but I don't know what to do with those toss salads and scrambled eggs. They're calling again. <laughs> <laughs>